everyone. This week I met with Scott Baker, the founder and president of Five Generation Bakers. Scott is both a baker by name and a baker by trade. His flagship product, Jenny Lee Swirl Bread, has been a staple in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area for decades. As the name says, there are five generations of baking history behind Scott's company. I don't want to spoil any part of his amazing story, but let's just say I have a lot of respect for Scott and his family and how they have worked so hard for the people in their community. We had the chance to do this interview in person at his facility in McKees Rocks, just north of downtown Pittsburgh. If you are enjoying the Food Industry Insider, please follow and subscribe to the podcast. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We would really appreciate a five-star review on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is a great zero-cost way to support our show. Hi, Scott. I'm, I'm so glad that we're here. You invited us down here to your company, Five Generation Bakers, and you are the president of the company. And we are so happy to hear about your company, hear the history, and, you know, just bring us all the way up to today. So I think the best way to start is tell us how you started this company. Sure, absolutely. And uh, welcome to Five Generation Bakers and McKee's Rocks. Uh, very proud of uh, our business and, and um, the town that we're a part in. I've been involved in this community for decades, and um, uh, I'm very uh, blessed to be able to continue my family's legacy in the baking industry. Um, Five-generation bakers is a literal term. I'm the fifth generation of my family in the business, at least in the United States. Um, I've, we have big family reunions every uh, five years or so. And um, after I started my company uh, reunion, probably about 10 years ago, started getting some oral history from a, a cousin who sadly just passed last month, um, Margie Baker, was kind of our, our family historian. And she's like, Scott, you know that we were bakers in Bad Orb, Germany too. And I'm like, I assumed we were, but tell me more. And um, so my great-great-grandfather, Michael Becker, until he was 16 years old, um, grew up in Bad Orb, Germany, and um, had learned how to bake from his uncle, who had a bakery in, in this small village. Um, at 16, he emigrated to the United States, hit Ellis Island, changed his name from Becker to Baker with the intent of being more American. Um, he came, he settled in uh, the West End of Pittsburgh. Um, didn't know anybody, came here by himself. Did he speak English? He spoke English um, as a second language. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, German was his native language. He tried a couple of odd jobs um, and then in 1875, he was, I believe, at that point, about 24, 25 years old, was married, opened up a bakery at 25 Steuben Street. You go through the West End and you cross over the West End uh, Tunnel and you cross over the train tracks, right about where the train tracks are on Steuben Street is where 25 Steuben Street would have been. Um, he started the Michael A. Baker Bakery. It was a retail shop. He lived upstairs. And um, started having a family, and his business grew, and he started delivering door-to-door. -door. Um, eventually, his sons uh, started working for him when they were in their early teens. And um, when they were old enough to determine that that was a career they wanted to take, they changed the name to the Michael A. Baker and Sons Bakery. They opened up a plant, uh, a bigger plant, a little bit down the road on Sawmill Run Boulevard. Um, 
and uh, continue to grow. They became a very large wholesale bakery, one of the largest uh, wholesale bakeries in Pennsylvania at the time. Um, very smart marketers. Uh, the four brothers were were with the business when my great great grandfather decided to retire. Uh, they went to their three long, younger brothers that were all still in high school and said, "When you guys graduate, you're joining the family business because we're changing the name to the Seven Baker Brothers." And uh, okay. yeah, Seven Baker Brothers uh, um, grew to over 400 employees at one point in time. They had 125 delivery vehicles. I say vehicles because they weren't all trucks. There were a lot of horse-drawn carriages. Do you remember what year we are about now? In the early 19, like 1901. I think great great grandpa retired in 1903 one or three or something okay. like that. Um, so now you got seven brothers involved with the business, um, growing like wildfire, doing well. They've got big families. They've got a lot of kids that are starting to get involved. My grandfather was born in 1913, um, graduated from uh, University of Pittsburgh in, let's see, that would have been about 34, 35, had worked for his dad and uncle's for several years while I was in in high school and college, but came out with a with a degree in business administration, um, I, I believe, and um, and went to work selling furniture. Was his first job out of college. Well, after um, you know a couple of years of that in success, he wanted to get into the baking business, but he didn't want to work for his dad. He wanted to do his own thing. Um, so he and his cousin, who was his best friend, Bernard McDonald. Um, started writing business plans to open up a new bakery. Um, they enlisted two of their uncles, two of the seven Baker brothers, to help them write the business plan and, um, you know, started planning a retail bakery. Seven Baker brothers was wholesale. Initially, the plan is said, well, you know, we'll start selling seven Baker brothers products, but eventually, you know, uh, we'll convert it all to products that we make ourselves. Well, my grandfather told me the story. I'm like, one point, grandpa, how did you get the name Jenny Lee Bakery? And, uh, he said, you know, um, well, uncle Frank, I never met him. He was dead long before I was born, but, um, you know, uncle Frank was a, you know, really talented guy, but he was a procrastinator and, and late and, and, uh, you know, kind of, um, you know, stalled things or whatever. He comes waltzing into a business meeting 15 minutes late. They had already started talking about an agenda item, which was names for the business. Uncle Frank came in whistling this tune that was uh, that made popular by Guy Lombardo. The song was called Sweet Jenny Lee from Sunny Tennessee. Oh, okay. And so if you're familiar with, you know, the Jenny Lee history and, and our logo was a Southern Bell, and that's, that's why Jenny Lee was that Southern Belle because she was from sunny Tennessee. <laughs> so, and, and it's, it's an interesting piece of history too, because the song was recorded several times. It was written in the twenties and didn't really become a big hit until Guy Lombardo recorded it in, in the mid thirties. But it was also recorded, covered by um, Bob Willis and his Texas Playboys. Oh boy. And so, yeah. So fast forward years later, we've had this, this national icon, uh, musician Willie Nelson, who had a lot of inspiration come to him from Bob Willis and his Texas Playboys. So he's covered a lot of that guy's songs. Well, I found an obscure video of Willie Nelson covering Sweet Jenny Lee from Sunny Tennessee in a bar. It looked like it was just a, you know, you yeah. know an impromptu mm -hmm. uh, session at a bar. Uh, it's a really catchy tune. It mm. is pretty neat. Yeah. Hey. We Jenny Lee from sunny Tennessee. 
So you could use it. You could use it in a commercial sometime. We could, yeah. I got to reach out to, to <laughs> Willie and uh, see first of all if he likes roll breads. I bet he does. He's probably got a sweet, a sweet tooth. Yeah, he's still alive. <laughs> oh yeah, he is for sure. Yeah, he's he's doing well. I mean, uh, he's he's old. He's old. He's probably uh, you know eighty five to ninety. I don't know exactly. But who um, owns the song? I wonder. Yeah, I have no idea. That's what you have to find I have no out. Idea. I don't. Because <laughs> if it's if it's public domain, then you can do whatever you want. Sure, right. You know, right. but if it's if he owns it. Then you then you have to deal with him, right? Oh, that's funny. Right. But did you use you didn't use Jenny Lee until you started this? No, no. Company. So yeah, so so back to you know um, the story. of My grandfather and his business plans. Now they have a name, Jenny Lee Bakery. Um, they had a location. Um, they had negotiated to rent out the corner um, uh, storefront at the GC Murphy Building on the edge of Pittsburgh's Diamond Market. Uh, which was an open air market where farmers and, mm-hmm. and and such would come in and sell their wares in in the heart of Pittsburgh. Today it's known as Market Square. So anybody that's familiar with Pittsburgh, it's okay. it's downtown Market Square. Um, he was on the edge right there. Um, started selling Jenny Lee um, Seven Baker Brothers products. Within the first couple of months, uh, people were asking for donuts, and so he put a donut fryer in the front window. Seven Baker Brothers didn't sell donuts. He was selling donuts in the first couple of months. And by the end of the first year, everything that they sold, they were producing themselves. They were either making it there in in, uh, downtown or they also rented the basement of a uh, bakery in Dormont. I don't remember the exact name of that bakery, but uh, the owner was Francis Kohler. Um, Ed Kohler, Francis Kohler were were very good, dear friends of my grandfather. And um, probably because of that relationship that they had at that point in time. And um, and then it quickly he outgrew hurt that rented space too. And so in 1941 he bought his first um, piece of property uh, in McKee's Rocks, opened up um, a central bakery there, put a storefront in, and now at this point everything was produced out of McKee's Rocks, uh, coming from McKee's Rocks. And that's how you know the families had had like my great great grandfather had after he had established himself. In the West End, had bought a house and raised his family, his seven sons, in McKee's Rocks. So the families that lived in McKee's Rocks were very familiar with the com- community, but this was the first time we had a bakery in McKee's Rocks. Um, it was funny because by the time I joined the business, there were 14 retail locations, and a lot of them had different numbers. So as they added a new location, that became number two or number three or so on and so forth. And by the time I joined a business, of course, Island Avenue was number two, even though that's where we made everything. Market Square was number one. It was our original location. So you had how many bakeries? In the heyday, in 1984, Jenny Lee had 14 locations in and around Pittsburgh, um, in Swickley, in Moon Township, in South Hills Village, in Allegheny Center Mall, in Crafton, in Kenmar. Um, yeah, no, so these we were all full-line over. bakeries? There were full line bakers. You could walk in and order buns, cookies, donuts, cakes, pies, order a wedding cake, um, put a special order for, you know, your baby's uh, uh, christening or uh, whatever. You a know, wedding it was cake? Full line. Ab- absolutely. Yeah, they did a lot so, of wedding cakes. And all these things were made in the back of the bakery? They were made. Um, yeah, it was a huge facility. Uh, it was ultimately my grandfather uh, bought the building next to him and then mm-hmm. the building next to that and the building next to that. So there was four buildings. You could see four distinct buildings from the outside. But when you walked into this facility, it felt like one because, and I was there for part of the expansion is we needed more space. We knock a, a wall down and connect it to the next building and then you had this big um you know 
open production area and donut room and ingredient storage and pan room and all these different spaces that were all because I, interconnected. I, I know today, like if you go to a bakery, they buy bakery mixes, right. mix them, sure, and yeah. that you know, so it's it's. <clears throat> Freshly baked. Oh yeah, this is all scratch. But, but it's but it's not scratch. No, no, oh, yeah. today yeah. it's not scratch. So everything yeah. you There's you still did. There's some very dedicated scratch bakers. Uh, you know, I'm good friends with the owners of Bethel Bakery, and, and I I would estimate that the vast majority, if not everything, that they produce is scratch baked. I know I can say the similar for Oakmont Bakery and Crutchmore's Bakery. Yeah. Um, now there are some things that they might you know, and I and I don't know this for those three in particular, but a lot of retail bakers will use like you you say a donut mix. Yeah. You know, they'll use a dawn um, raised day is one of the is probably the number one mm-hmm. uh, donut donut mix in the world. Um, you know, cake mixes, but then they make those donuts their own right. by the type of toppings that they use, mm-hmm. or or maybe you know you you've got a mix, but you you tweak it. Yeah. You know, add your signature secret ingredients. Yeah, to you make add it buttermilk instead of right. milk. And For sure, yeah. A little cinnamon, a little pinch of cinnamon yeah. in a cake mix. So. So yours at the time was a full line yeah, bakery. Yeah, Gen- Jenny Lee was full line scratch uh, baked, uh, scratch recipes bakery. Um, a lot of the different locations would maybe decorate cakes um, on location or even have ovens and bake-off cookies and, and some th- signature things. It's so funny because yesterday I was working with my dad in, in production. We were making a special item um, for QVC, and uh, it was limited so uh, quantity. So it was just he and I working together. And um, I said, what was that buttered Danish coffee cake that Elsie Susco used to make? And so we started talking about it because we've, we we want to make this Danish butter coffee cake for QVC. Interestingly, the same day, three hours later, I get an email from Elsie's great, uh, her granddaughter emailing me, Hey, that's one item. I see it sold out on your website. I want to buy it for mom. Is it my mom? Is it going to be available anytime soon? I said, said, joy. It's so funny. We were just talking about your grandmother today, but I mean, Jenny Lee closed 15 years ago. Elsie, I'm sure she'd be 110 or 115 if she was alive today. Mm But, um, you know, and I only knew her when I was a little kid, but, um, you know, those, those connections are still strong in there. You know, her granddaughter's reaching out and, so who has the recipe? Does she have it? Oh, we have it. Oh, you have it. Oh, yeah. We've got all our recipes. <laughs> In the secret file. Yes. There you go. Right. All right. right. So so what happened to the bakery? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Jenny Lee, um, in, in the mid-80s, 14 locations. My grandfather at this point was retired. My dad and his two brothers were uh, Jim and Uncle Jim and Uncle Rich were running Jenny Lee. And, you know, the, the, the family structure, there was a lot of, the United States has always evolved, right? And mm-hmm. um in the 80s, there's a lot of different movements and changes in family structure and marketplaces and, um, you know, divorce is becoming more common and family structures are changing or, you know, maybe in the 70s, you just saw one head of the household working. Well, now in the 80s, you know, I don't want to sound like um insensitive, but women were liberated. You know, that's the kind <laughs> of uh, conversations that were happening, right? Mm-hmm. And um and, and and women went to work, rightly so. They've they've got as many creative and 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 brilliant ideas as as any smart guy I know, if mm-hmm. not better. Mm-hmm. So you know, workplaces started to expand and evolve. Shopping habits changed. If you know, now you might only have one head of a house, or if you have two, they're both working, and so. Time Time became more of a commodity and grocery stores became supermarkets. Mm-hmm. 
you started seeing the perimeter of supermarkets expanding and evolving, adding a butcher, a deli, a bakery. And so, um, you know, my dad and his brothers, um, their strategy at that point in time was, you know, let's let's not try to beat them. Let's join them. Um, They closed several of the uh, lower performing retail locations and started selling Jenny Lee products, uh, fresh products in uh, upwards of 20 local supermarkets. Okay. Shop and saves, food lands, independent stores like that. And, um, you know, it, my grandfather was always very adamant that you're either a, a retail baker or you're a wholesale baker. You can't be both. And there's a lot of challenges that operators need to, to focus on because you're trying to provide the, the same products, but now at a heavily discounted price so that your retail partners can make money as well. And so, you know, they, they, they had a lot of uh, learning curves. and They did good at it. Uh, businesses continued to grow, but margins changed and, uh, and fortunes changed. And by um, the early to mid-90s, um, you know, Jenny Lee had evolved in a way that it wasn't um, probably uh, um, able to support three families like it had. And so, you know, my dad and his brothers were looking to make a change. Um, I, at this point in, in 92, I graduated from the American Institute of Baking with a degree in the science and technology of baking and um, went back to Pitt to continue my degree in, in business administration. 94, I'd graduated. And so he and I started looking um, at uh, maybe opening up our own bakery, a father and son um, endeavor or whatever. And um, ultimately, it turned out that his brothers would rather – they wanted to move on with their career. So, like, well, why don't you buy us out a Jenny Lee? And, and he did that. So my mom and dad uh, put together the financial package uh, to buy out Uncle Rich and Uncle Jim. And and um, by early 1994, my dad became the sole owner of Jenny Lee Bakery. At this point, I had uh, graduated from Pitt. I joined him. Um, you know, it, it's funny um, – a lot of times I get asked, why did you decide to go into baking? I mean, did your dad make you? Certainly not. You know, uh, my grandfather had um, um, eight grandchildren. None of us were pressured to go into mm-hmm. the business. We were all offered summer jobs and weekend jobs, mm-hmm. and we all took them. You know, mm-hmm. all my cousins uh, t- took took the summer jobs at Jenny Lee. It was a lot of fun. Um I, my first year of college, I went to Kent State. Uh, it was it was experience. I wasn't much of a student. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I was I was a social uh, <laughs> butterfly, and I, I liked going to school to see my friends. But that was about it. Uh, I went to Kent State and didn't get very good grades. Um, you know, ultimately, my mom's like, I'm not paying out of state tuition for a 2.0 Scott. Come back in, but I was home <laughs> on my first break from Kent. And um, I'm in Kmart of all places. places. This was 1989, um, maybe 1990, maybe Thanksgiving in 1990. And the cashier, as I'm waiting in line to check out, was just miserable. She was bickering, complaining to her coworker. I can't believe they're going to make us work on Thanksgiving. All these years I've worked for for Kmart, I've never had to work on on a holiday, and I'm I, I finally I'm I, I get up in line, and I'm like I I really feel for you. I'm, we work hard up to a holiday, but I, we never have to work a holiday. And she's like, Oh yeah, where do you work? And I said, Jenny Lee Bakery. And she's like, Oh my goodness, your buttercream icing is so <laughs> good. And I just I felt the hairs go up on my arm. I'm like, I just turned this lady's day around. Yeah. By talking about Jenny Lee Bakery and. 
that was an epiphany to me. I'm like, at this point, I was studying um, education. I thought maybe I could be a teacher. I didn't know, but I knew right then and there that's the, that's what I wanted to do. And yeah. um, you know, it changed. Uh, made plans to go to baking school and get a degree. Um, changed uh, from from education to uh, business and. And the rest was history. Did you so. know there were baking science degrees out there you could have gone and? No, uh-uh. Yeah. I, it, I didn't. Um, you know, <clears throat> I talked to a cousin of mine. A cousin of mine owned um, Carnes Bakery. Mm-hmm. His name was John Pokel, a couple years older than me. So he was a descendant of one of the seven Baker brothers as well. Different. And my great-grandfather was different than his great-grandfather. Um, and Carnes was a descendant of the seven Baker brothers. So part of that lineage. But you know, I sat down with him and he, he told me how much he learned at AIB yeah. and, and what a powerful program it was. And so I applied and I'll tell you more. And I, you know, I ultimately ended up graduating from Pitt with a 3.0, a B average, yeah. you know, um, but AIB, I learned more in 16 weeks at AIB than I did four years at Pitt. And that's not a knock on Pitt. That's just what an incredible program um, it was a, it was a residency program. Right. It was affiliated with Kansas State University. I lived in Manhattan, Kansas, for a semester mm-hmm. in Haymaker Hall. Yeah, but but K State <laughs> yeah. is the biggest one with the bakery science. You can go right. bakery science. You can go right. grain science. You can go production. You can go R and D. You can go QA. Absolutely. I mean, I when I got into recruiting, and I ended up working in the food working for the food industry, and I found out all these different things for food. I was like. I missed it. I already graduated from college. I'm not going to go back to college. So I've lived vicariously through all of my candidates all these years. Mm -hmm. And I'm amazed at how many people I run into that accidentally got in the food industry. And when I find some that purposely did it, I'm always amazed. Like, how did you know that they had a food science degree? How did you know they had a baking science? So it's, it would have been, I wonder how different it would have been if someone had just steered you to go to the baking science instead of pit. You would have had baking science. You know what? I don't think, I don't think I would have done well. That wasn't me. I mean, American Institute of Baking was hands on. It was Mm -hmm. laboratory. It was in, you know, you know, understanding the functionality of ingredients, learning, um, you know, what, uh, how, how different leavening agents work and what activates them at what temperature, um, how to activate yeast, what, you know, different ingredients impart on a formula, you know, salt. A lot of times I, you know, I might be at a friend's house and taste this, something's missing. It just doesn't taste right. And I'm like, put a pinch of salt in. Salt mm-hmm. enhances the flavors, the other flavors that are there. Yeah. Um, it balances. Um, you know, sometimes I'll be at the oven and my production manager says, can you taste this and figure out what we did wrong? And I'm like, okay, you put double the enzymes in or you forgot the sugar. I mean, you know, these things that we're learning by hands on and testing day in Mm -hmm. and day out, that's the type of learner I I was. And so being in a university setting to learn the science of grains, I would have been falling asleep in every class. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Probably. Right. Yeah, because I run into people who say, oh, I make the best chocolate chip cookies. I don't put any vanilla in them. I'm like, no, vanilla is a flavor enhancer. It's, right. It's, right. It makes the chocolate taste better. Right. Or I'm on a salt-free diet, so I took all the salt out. I'm like, yeah. no, no, that's not the kind of salt they're talking about taking yeah. out on your diet. Right. And because right. that- And you can reduce salt and it yeah. still have an effect. I know, but they eliminate will. it all together. Yeah. It's a Nobody's flavor. gonna like your cooking. I hate to tell you. Yeah, no one's gonna like those cookies. <laughs> right. Yeah, they think well, it might be nice to you, and mm, this, this is pretty good. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they're thinking. <laughs> yeah, and they're thinking it's sweet, so it shouldn't have salt in it. Right. I'm like, no, right. if it's yeah. sweet and you put salt in, it tastes sweeter. Right. 
and they don't they right. don't understand to a point, this thing. You got to yeah. be careful. You oh, can lose yes. the point of too much. You cannot cross that line. Yep. But anyways, so you obviously got into this on purpose. Mm-hmm. And um, so what happened next with the uh, the business? So, you know, in 1994, I, I joined, uh, you know, I'd worked for Jenny Lee since I was 13. Um, uh, in 94, I, I finally got to put on a, a tie and a jacket and I became um, a sales manager for my dad and tried to, um, you know, uh, continue to grow the retail sales and um, bring on new wholesale customers and supermarkets and manage those. And, you know, I learned a lot. I, I had done every position at the bakery. Um, you know, when I was 13, my first job was mopping floors, cleaning pots mm-hmm. and pans. Um, when I was 16, I was allowed to hit the bench. I loved, I loved it. And that's kind of where I fell in love. And even though I didn't think of it as a career at that age, I, I knew I was good at it. Um, <clears throat> I worked night turn. I mixed. I was on the ovens. I was a cake depositor. I was a donut fryer. Um, I worked the night turn shift for a couple of years, had some really strong friendships that I grew with, with those people working until three o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, and so finally now it's my time to, to, um, you know, put on that jacket and, and assume a management role with the business. And we had a great time. You know, I, um, one of the first things my dad said to me was, um, you know, now that you're a, a manager of this business and part of the community, you're going to join McKee's Rocks Rotary. And so 1995, I joined McKee's Rocks Rotary. And um, the blessing behind that was the fact that my grandfather uh, was a member of McKee's Rocks Rotary, and so I got to have lunch with him every week. Oh, wonderful. Um, you know, for learning about Rotary and how to help the community, but also extra time to sit with my grandfather and, and learn things from him that, you know, I, I maybe when I was younger didn't pay attention to mm-hmm. or just didn't have the opportunity. And so it was, you know, really um, a blessing to have that opportunity. But, you know, growing a business, learning how to run a business, um, you know, learning the financial side of it, um, did that for about a decade. And in 2004, and also while this time I was involved with the community, I was also very involved with the Western Pennsylvania Bakers Association, um, you know, served as president of the organization. You can see one of my uh, gavels up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But I also started to learn more about the industry. Um, I was nominated to the Retailer Bakery Association board, and I served on that board during this time as well. Um, you know, and find out retail bakeries are dinosaurs. We're dying. Uh, mm-hmm. When I f- was first handed a list of um, the bakery members in, in, in the mid 90s, there were over 100 Western Pennsylvania bakers. And by the turn of the century, 2000, there might have been 35 left. It was a major, oh. major exodus of retail bakeries in, in the region. And so, you know, I, I'm looking at it. I want to be um, progressive. And, you know, how do we how do we stay ahead of this? How do we avoid, uh, you know, going extinct? <clears throat> and so in 2004, I convinced my dad that we couldn't just be a retail bakery and a wholesale bakery. We also had to be a commercial bakery. And so I developed a production process to take the cinnamon swirl bread that now five generation bakers is so famous for. Mm-hmm. I mean, we made it in when I was on a night turn production crew, we divided a piece of dough by hand, scaled it, let it proof, ran it through a sheeter with 144 pieces of dough, filled the bench. We would egg wash, sprinkle cinnamon sugar on it, roll it up by hand, put it in a pan. It would take four bakers about an hour to do 144 loaves. Well, we took a standard 
bakery production table and added some roll winders and um, some custom parts to it and were able to automate the sheeting cinnamon application rolling of that dough to where we were able to produce four times as many with three bakers instead of four bakers. So mm-hmm. it just became much more efficient. And we sought some business. Uh, we, we were able to private label this bread for Giant Eagle back then. Um, we got onto King's Family Restaurant's menu. Mm. And so we started a new segment of our, um, you know, the business that had some legs and some real potential to grow it out down the road. Um, we're doing that. We're still doing maintaining our retail stores, our wholesale business. And in Thanksgiving Day in 2006, I live, I'm married now with a, with a, in 2006, I had a three-year-old son. <clears throat> I live up in Zillian Opal, 30 miles north of McKee's Rocks. I get a phone call, Scott, you got to get down here right away. This is Thanksgiving Day. You got to get down here right away. The bakery's on fire. Yeah. No. Yeah. It was, it was a, it was a tough day. It was nearly burnt to the ground. The fire started in a oscillating fan. It was whatever inadvertently left running and fell and shorted out. And it was an old building. So a lot of wooden floors, Mm. a lot of flower dust, flammability. And, um, the second floor was nearly wiped out by the fire. The first floor was nearly washed out by the over 100,000 gallons of water yeah. that they hosed in to put mm-hmm. the fire out. Um, shut the business down uh, from Thanksgiving Day until uh, a week before April uh, Easter in April of 2007. Um, we, we opened doors. You know, my dad was committed to uh, rebuilding and supporting his employees and um, the customers. Did you rebuild on the same site? The legacy my grandfather had created. Yep. We, 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 uh, it was a couple million dollar renovation. Insurance company was awesome. Um, you know, they, they, we had a good insurance policy mm-hmm. and, and they, uh, f- you know, provided finance, the reconstruction of the bakery made improvements, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of improvements, certainly walls are being knocked down. Well, maybe we don't need that wall there and things right. like that. So, mm-hmm. Um, we reopened um, April of 2007. And one of the things we learned, first of all, we had a great response in our four retail stores that were remaining at the time. Um, and a lot of news uh, stories. So people were excited. Customers were excited to see Jenny Lee reopen. But one of the things we didn't really count on was the fact that wholesale customers aren't going to wait four or five months for donuts. Right. They got to sell donuts next week. And so we had, we were replaced by a lot of vendors and many of the wholesale customers we had, and we had to fight to regain that business. Oh my. Um, Some of them had made arrangements that were temporary arrangements. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, we got a good clip of that business back right away, but still it was eroded uh, from where we were when we shut down. Um, And we're fighting to get this business back, working hard, bringing on new customers. And, uh, you know, eight months goes by now it's January, 2008. You know what that timing was? Mm -hmm. The beginning of the recession. Yeah. You know, the recession really hit consumers by May, June, July of that year. Mm-hmm. But it started hitting food operators in January. From between January and February, price of flour tripled. Yeah. Uh, most ingredient costs at least doubled. 
And you're hesitant to pass those increases, at least the complete increase across to your customers. You don't want to lose them. My experience, we in, in some of the things I'd learned by talking to a grandfather and dad and you know uncles that had been in this business for generations, many times a mild re- recession, the baking business did better. Yeah. We did a lot. We were a lot stronger during a recession because people would stop the big purchases. They wouldn't take a family vacation. They wouldn't right. buy a new car. They wouldn't do a home improvement. They wanted to still spoil themselves so they could do that with baked goods. They might get an extra treat for the family every week, you know, because they're they're tightening their belt on the big things but yeah. splurging on the small things. Yeah, they won't go out to eat, but they'll buy yeah. a cake. Yeah, or buy this was some different. Ducks. This was different. It was. Uh, <clears throat> Celebrations are declining. Yeah. Um, you, you know, the young people don't get it, gross, do they? No, <laughs> Nobody, no. If they were just kids at two that in two thousand eight, they don't right. understand. We're, Not at all. We we're feeling like whiplash right now. Right. Yeah. No, we're yeah. Feeling like it's happening Grocery all over. Grocery lists were slashed, and you know, so by August of two thousand eight, it was just you know too much of a struggle for my parents to hang on, and they made a decision to. To hang it up and retire, and you know, you, you look back and you know, maybe hindsight, it's always twenty twenty, you know, mm-hmm. and you know maybe they should have just taken the insurance proceeds and retired a year and a half sooner. You, you oh, could yeah. second guess, maybe not, but you know, again, I, you know, I'm sure my dad never questions himself. He was dedicated. He was yeah. committed um, and loyal to those employees. But we we made the announcement we're closing at the end of a week. I forget the exact date. It was August sixteenth or something like that. Mm-hmm. The very last day we were open, I get to the bakery about a half an hour to an hour before the doors were going to be unlocked. Mm-hmm. There were a line of people three blocks long. And I was, you know, I'm thinking, where the heck have you guys been? Yeah. If we had this type of support, we wouldn't have to close the doors. Right. On the other hand, I was just, I was moved. I was so moved mm-hmm. that so many people came out to, you know, bid us farewell. And, and, and you know, ultimately that was the emotion that, 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 uh, just overcame, I, you know, was, I was so touched. Um, and that was, let's see. So it's, it's, uh, it's been more than 15 years now that Jenny Lee Bakery is closed. I still get an email, a couple emails every single week. Um, when are you going to, when are you start making Jenny Lee buttercream cakes again? Yeah. Can I get the donut recipe since you're not making donuts anymore? Oh my. Yeah. <laughs> the but number I s- one cookie people ask for, uh, yeah. and, and, and this is, this is, uh, uh, for for uh, oh, this this one girl, I won't name her just because she'd probably be embarrassed. But she, uh, it, it, uh, a couple times a year, I go, Scott, you gotta give me that recipe for chocolate lots, the chocolate drop cookie we used to make. Do you so, ever give your recipes? Out? No, I don't. <laughs> I, I did in this case. I gave her the recipe. She's like, "What are you?" I gave her the recipe the way it was in the book: a mm-hmm. hundred pounds of flour, fifty pounds of fudge. Ah. She's like, she's "What like, am I supposed to do with this?" Well, I'm like, "Break it down." <laughs> I'm not going to do the work for you, but That's here you go. That's not going to work. It's <laughs> never going to work. <laughs> no, but she got the rest. No, you know what? I get the request all the time. I, you know, there's too many things that I, I'm, I might still commercialize one day that I just don't know oh, what yeah. I'm going to do. Um, I do think that at some point um, I'm going to write a book. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a recipe book. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully have a lot of stories about Jenny Lee. Hopefully have uh, you know stories about the people who worked for Jenny Lee mm-hmm. and did different things and how we did things. And I think on one page I'll have the bakery formula mm-hmm. and then I'll break it down for a kitchen recipe. I don't know. That's just an idea I have. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. And then so after the after you closed down, what year was it? Two thousand nine. Yeah. So uh, August of two thousand eight. 
I find okay. myself unemployed for the first time in my life. Mm. Burnout, pissed off, <laughs> frustrated, mm-hmm. and uh, still coming into Mickey's Rocks five days a week. Mm-hmm. Jenny Lee was in you know almost a seventy-year-old business in a hundred-year-old building um, with 30, 34,000 square feet, and you know, I told you my grand, great grandfather emigrated from Germany. We're Germans. And if you know mm. anything about Germans, we're pack rats. Yeah. My dad, my grandfather, I don't think they threw a thing away. So I'm going into the bakery every day to help my dad liquidate, take inventory of all of, you know, all everything we have. I'm finding artifacts from Seven Baker Brothers, payroll records from Jenny Lee from the 30s and 40s. I'm opening up, you know, we're going through thousands of uh, of chocolate molds that hadn't seen a light of day in years and now are antiques Mm -hmm. i'm going through you know i open up some uh, this file box that probably had not seen a light of day in 40 years my hand grandfather's handwriting i knew his handwriting very well he wrote me not lots of notes over the years i open it up and it's newspaper clippings and i'm sitting there reading through this and that and just you know but none of this burned in the fire well there's so it was it was amazing because the the second floor there was a lot of things that were lost in the fire. Okay, there are a ton of things that were lost mm-hmm. in the fire. There were some really important artifacts that the fire washed through from the candy room through the offices, and there was this one closet that my grandfather had all these file boxes in that okay. somehow the fire didn't touch. And I don't know if there was asbestos in the drywall or whatever. Oh, okay. But this one room had a lot of these boxes saved. And um, and this was a m- couple months had gone by now mm-hmm. at this point. It's probably December of 2008. You know, I'm not as bitter as I was. The anger had subsided. And I had a job offer at this point too. And I'm, I'm, I'm contemplating that. And I'm looking in, at these newspaper articles over the six, seven decades that Jenny Lee uh, existed. And I'm like, you know, my grandfather started over. I'm a fifth generation baker. I can do this. It was my aha moment, Mm -hmm. the light bulb going off and started thinking, you know, I already started kind of writing a business plan to commercialize the cinnamon swirl bread. So my brain's going, I get home that night. I'm like, honey, I don't think I can accept Ed's offer. Um, I don't think I can take that job. So I, she's like, why? You know, did, you know, it was a good offer. And I said, like, I know, but I, I think I, I think I've got an idea. I think I have to write a business plan. And she, you know, thankfully came from a family of entrepreneurs as well. And I think understood the need mm-hmm. that I had. And she's like, Scott, if that's what you feel, then that's what you have to do. Okay. And, uh, um, so I started, I started writing a business plan. And by June of 09, I was confident enough in that business plan. I founded Five Generation Bakers, LLC. Um, part of the name, A, I wanted to be very descriptive, mm-hmm. explain who I am. I'm, a, I'm, a, you know, I'm the fifth generation of my family in the business. Kind of was hoping maybe uh, a name like Five Generation Bakers would fool a bank into thinking we've been around for a while and mm-hmm. lend me some money. No, it didn't, uh, didn't work. Didn't, didn't work. Um, <laughs> you know, but... Uh, you know, also the, the third key thing about that name is I wanted to establish that I was a different bakery than Jenny Lee. I wasn't going to do retail. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that I wanted to focus on those cinnamon swirl breads, but I also wanted to be fair to the process of 
being open-minded to a complete business plan. And so I did research on donuts. Donuts were 25% of Jenny Lee's overall business. Mm -hmm. But at this point in time, Krispy Kreme was moving to Pittsburgh. There's Dunkin' Donuts on every other corner. I don't want to compete against that. Right. Uh, we were on every cookie table at every Pittsburgh wedding across town. Um, but there's a thousand commercial cookie manufacturers mm -hmm. across the country. Um, people still talk about our buttercream icing to this day. Mm -hmm. It's a big part of uh, the celebrations in Pittsburgh at that time, a Jenny Lee decorated cake. But almost every supermarket makes a delicious cake at generally half the price of what a retail bakery can offer. Right. I couldn't compete against that. I kept coming back to the cinnamon swirl breads. I'd go into Oakmont or I'd go into Kretschmar's or I'd go into uh, uh, Dingle's Bakery in Chicago or, or um, uh, Buskin's Bakery in Cincinnati. E almost every single retail bakery I, I'd ever go into, I would see these crimp breads, crimp style breads, but I could never find them in supermarkets. I did find one chain in, in, the, in the Midwest, about an 80 store chain um, that was selling uh, the Schnucks Bakery in St. Louis oh, okay. was selling, but they had a central bakery and they were making themselves mm -hmm. there. No other supermarket had crimp breads around the country. And I'm, I'm like, okay, to be fair to this business plan, I did, is it because commercial supermarket customers don't want it? Or is it that no commercial bakeries had developed a process yeah. to streamline it. And I banked on that. And I've been in business now for 14 years in two days this is my 14th anniversary. 12 out of 14 years, we've had double digit sales growth Good. in 12 of those years. So I think we, 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 we figured it out. Right. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. And we all like yeah. the swirl bread. Right. Right. So, so tell us a yeah. little bit about those 14 years. Yeah. Cause I know so that 2010, you've, you've, you've done 2000. some unique things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yes and no. Um, you know, I just, I innovated. Mm -hmm. um, I listened to this, the people around me. I didn't know everything. I knew I was a good baker, but I, I wasn't a businessman at that point. Mm -hmm. My dad was the businessman. Um, you know, so in the 2010, I uh, uh, finally was able to secure some capital from a family friend is actually a gentleman named Russ Bundy, who is the patriarch of the RT Bundy and Associates business. Locally, um, divisions are USA Pan, Premier Pan, right here in Crescent Township. They also own Chicago Metallic uh, and, and uh, some other bakery pan uh, manufacturers around the country. They're probably the, the largest bakery pan conglomerate in the world. Wonderful family, incredible products that they make. Um, Russ Bundy loaned me uh, $113,000, which allowed me to um, uh, buy equipment from my dad and secure his facility to rent. Um, <clears throat> so um, February of, of 2010, had a group of friends come in and help me wash down walls, um, sanitize equipment, um, paint, clean, fix, everything we needed to do to get that bakery running again after 18 months of sitting idle. Mm-hmm. And on, uh, I think it was February 9th, 2010, we fired up the ovens for the first time. Um, I had gone back to King's. King's was my first customer. Um, I also went to uh, Clover Hill Foods at the time, eventually became Clover Mountain Foods. And Bill Vergie uh, became a good friend and, and uh, uh, my best customer. Um, he, uh, uh, you know, agreed to help us get our business going. And um, he, before we even opened, he had a food show in January. And he said, Scott, if you can get if you can get samples made, you're welcome to start securing customers at this food show before you open the doors. And Burns and Kiefer uh, rented me some line time. I went into their bakery. We baked maybe 200 loaves of bread, went to that food show in January and started securing shop and saves and food lands and independent stores like T-Bones and 
all kind of different places in Pittsburgh. And, um, you know, we came back with uh, some some gusto. It was kind of fun. Um, that first year, really had no idea what type of business we would do. I, I, I drew up a business plan and forecast and a budget and estimated we'd do about $275,000 in revenue. Uh, that first year, we, I think we just broke 300000 so we beat our goal. Um, second year, I'm like, wow, you know, we saturated Western PA again. We're growing here. Um, I think I want to start reaching out into, you know, Ohio and West Virginia and see what other customers we, let me just guess, maybe we'll double sales from our budget to 275. Let's uh, put a budget on paper of 550 for our second year. Um, we did 553,000 our second year. I'm like, oh, wow, 100% growth. That was great. What am I going to do year three? Well, that formula worked. Let's just double our our forecast again. We're, we're going to do 1.1 million. Mm-hmm. In our third year, and sure enough, we did 1.1 million. There you go. You know that was we didn't we haven't doubled our sales since then. Uh, <laughs> you know that, <laughs> that that frequently, but we continued double digit growth. Um, it was always at least 15 to 20 percent. I mean, some years we had 40 percent growth um, all through that time. In t- 2000, uh, f- late 2014 and 15, we're starting to think. You know, we, we're going to outgrow this facility. Mm-hmm. Additionally, we always knew. You know, this was a hundred-year-old building. It was a great place for me to get my business off the ground, but it was multiple buildings connected on the inside. It was multiple floors, um, inefficient spaces. Um, it was a great place to get the business started, but it was not an ideal modern food manufacturing plan. And so we did have early on plans to um, to uh, to move. Um, at that point in time, CSX comes to McKee's Rocks, with all these great promises, we're going to change your town, all these community benefits. And they were started the plans to move into the railroad property behind us. Well, what that affected, this building had no load. It had a loading dock that would only accommodate an 18-foot truck, not a 53-foot trailer. It had a loading zone in front. So we would, flower truck would pull up. Mm-hmm. I'd use my fork truck to put a hand jack on the back of the truck and a guy would go on the back of the truck. Somebody would lift, sit on the fork truck and somebody would be inside moving pallets. So we would it'd take three guys about an hour to unload a, f- a full truck. Um, we would have an empty trailer pull up when I'm sending a load of bread out. Mm-hmm. That's 26 pallets of bread. The same three guys take an hour to load that truck. That was my loading zone. Well, PennDOT said with CSX truck traffic coming in, we're going to change the roadway in front of you and uh, you're going to lose your loading zone. It's going to become passing and turning lanes, effectively putting me out of business, at least in that facility. And yeah. so, um, you know, I was promised $10,000 relocation check from CSX, never received it. Um, quickly after they moved in, they moved out, um, you know, really screwed to town. Wow. Um, you know, there were a lot of broken promises. Um, I think there were a lot of backdoor deals done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm just speculating and guessing but, there, but you know, I've been involved on the sidelines of politics enough to know what goes on and, yeah. and it's yeah, why I'm not a politician <laughs> because I, I won't bend my, right. m- my ethics, but, uh, so anyways, it kind of sped up, um, inorganically our need to move, our need to have strategic uh, um, uh, growth and move Mm -hmm. probably two, three years sooner than we would have done organically uh, with our own revenue growth. But, you know, I was committed to McKees Rocks. At this point in time, I had served on a McKees Rocks Community Development Corporation um, as a founding member of that organization for more than a decade. Um, I wasn't going to move my commu- uh, business out of this community, though I had an offer from Youngstown, um, a, 
uh, no taxes for 10 years or abated taxes for 10 years. I had uh, a offer from um, a, a, uh, um, a community development corporation an hour and a half north of Pittsburgh that offered me free land. Wow. Um, McKees Rocks Community Development Corporation, Allegheny County in the state, it said, well, if you stay in McKees Rocks, we will try to work on neighborhood assistance tax credit program for you. So, you know, it wasn't a, a guarantee, but it was a promise to help. And, and again, despite those other offers in other communities, I wasn't, I wasn't moving my business. I did have to explore and see what those offers are. Um, we looked at 25, 26 different buildings in McKees Rocks, Stowe Township. We could not find something that was either the right size wasn't suited. We couldn't find anything suitable for food manufacturing. Things were too big, too small. Um, couldn't accommodate uh, 53 foot trailers, uh, too much residential traffic. I was banging my head against the wall and we were just unfortunate to find anything that was within our budget and suitable for modern food manufacturing. At this point in time, the URA comes to me who works for the city of Pittsburgh and says, over in Ingram, which is part of the city of Pittsburgh, we've got a development over there. It was a former housing development, but they wanted to convert it into a industrial park. Okay. And they wanted me to be an anchor tenant. And so we actually started looking at that. Mm -hmm. that it would have sucked because the tax dollars would have moved out of McKee's Rocks. But at least I could have still stayed within a mile. I could have kept all the employees. I could still yeah. employ McKee's Rocks people <clears throat> when um, all of a sudden – a real estate friend of mine who's, who's actually um, uh, had helped me secure, um, you know, my lease and ability to stay in my dad's old building said, Scott, Aldi's just bought bottom dollar out on Island Avenue. So that building is vacant. I want to get that. I want to get a sales agreement on it, but I think it'd be great for you. He showed me the blueprints I'm looking at. I said, I said, Craig, this is 18,000 square feet. I'm looking for 27,000 square feet. I don't think it's going to work for me. A couple weeks later, he's like, Scott, can you, can you come and meet me? Craig, I don't have time to come and take a look at the property. That's not going to work for me. He's like, Scott, as a favor to a friend, would you come and at least <laughs> act interested in this so I can get the sales agreement on it? I'm like, Craig, yes, for you, you know, for a friend, I'll come. So I'm sitting in a parking lot and um, he pulls up. He's like, remember, act interested. Real estate agent shows up. We go inside and, and, it hit me. I'm like looking at this beautiful building. I'm like, oh my God, this is perfect. I see mezzanine offices over here. We can put our ovens right here. We can put a little store. For and I'm sure in Craig's mind, he's like, Scott, tone it down. I just, you know, I don't yeah. want you to oversell it. <laughs> but I was legitimately super stoked about this. And at that point forward, he helped me get the property. It was a done deal. We, we knew we were moving on that. I think Aldi's was happy to sell it to me because, you know, they had bought, um, they don't want to see another supermarket move in no, no. close to them. So, you know, for a bakery manufacturer to move in was kind of a win-win-win for... Uh, and they have great loading docks <clears throat> and great parking. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, this building, for 50 years, it was a food land where we where we are. Mm -hmm. um, bottom dollar bought out the food land. They knocked it down and built a modern facility. Yes. It was completed in 2012. It operated for less than two years mm -hmm. before the merger or acquisition by Aldi's happened. And so... Here in 2015, September that year, Huntington backed me with uh, you know an SBA loan. We buy the building and begin in September. We, December we started. We broke a hole in a wall and mm -hmm. and uh, started our renovations. Um, it was perfect. It was already developed and designed for food distribution. Uh, you know, it had a lot of. You know, we had hired a company called the Austin Company out of Cleveland that um, they do a lot of 
different developments, but they really specialize in snack food and bakery developments. And they hire civil engineers that understand food manufacturing layouts. Right. It's different than, uh, you know, widget layout. If you're yeah. building a car axle, you don't, yeah. you know, where to put sanitary sewers and things like that. It makes a lot of sense to design things differently when you're talking about food and food safety. Right. And so they helped me with the uh, blueprints and the engineering drawings, fantastic company to work with. And, um, um, we come into this building and, and it basically it was a blank canvas. Mm-hmm. One of the most fun projects I ever got to work. And I, I, I sat down, uh, every day working with Eric Bachmuller, uh, to develop the layout, the process flow of this bakery Well, as a supermarket. They had small freezers, small refrigerator. Mm-hmm. We needed, our products are distributed frozen. We needed a 2000 square foot freezer. That was the biggest part of our expansion. It was about a half a million dollars to add this freezer. Um, but it, it, it's, it's everything that we need. Um, you know, we designed, we added offices and we, we, uh, you know, we, des- we put in this just incredible HVAC system, uh, to, um, uh, supply, uh, uh, recovery air for our ovens, you know, right. that makes them operate more efficiently than, you know, <clears throat> by, by having this brank is almost like it was a shell. It was a perfect shell to just come and design. It had already been designed for food, so it had the main things that we needed, but then we were able to add in the extras that made it five generation bakers and made it perfect for yeah. producing Jenny Lee's Royal Bread. Yeah, and so, it also looks good in the neighborhood. You didn't yeah. like oh, yeah. suddenly knock down houses to build something. Oh, and if I had a nickel every time somebody said, you know how good our neighborhood smells now that you're here? Yeah. <laughs> I would have at least 100 nickels, There's but I, I've heard it many times, many times. There you go. Well, the one thing we haven't talked about I want to touch on is how do you make the swirl bread? Because through making yeah, that you know, swirl bread. Yeah, we don't bread. make it. We've got elves that come in the middle yeah. of the night. <laughs> so, you know, and first of all, when, when I was in that old facility, I wanted to be very strict to my business plan and to my product line. I only made swirl breads. I didn't make anything else. Okay. N- nothing else. We still had cake depositing equipment. We had a, we had a donut fryer. We had... Um, other equipment and people call me up and say, Hey, now that you're back in business, can you make, um, you know, this sheet cake? I'm like, I don't want to make a sheet cake. Oh, you can mm-hmm. make good money on it. I'm like, I don't want to make it. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I'd hang up the phone and I would call up a buddy that sold used bakery equipment. I'm like, you need to help me unload this cake depositor so that I'm not tempted to make these cakes for this guy. I don't want to make them. I want to be very strict. Donut fryer actually rented out to a guy that came in. He made, um, he made potato chips on it. I at least got income off it, but I wasn't making anything yes. on it. I rented out to another bakery that wanted to do punch keys, but didn't have their own donut fryer, but they wanted to make their own punch keys. So they would come in and, and, and rent the fryer from us. So we, we found ways to earn income uh, from the equipment we weren't using, but I stayed very strict. Now we move in 2016, May of that year is when we cut the ribbon on his new facility. It was... Frankly, it was smaller in square footage than the old building, but I estimate I can get five times the volume out of here because of the efficiency, the process flow, the layout, um, and the equipment investments that we made. And so I've got to grow, I got to continue to grow rapidly in order to be able to pay my mortgage. Right. Um, So at that point in time, we decided to diversify. So we come in. how do we make cinnamon swirl bread? We're small batch. It, it's 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 still an old world labor intensive process. While there are um, parts of the process that are automated, the sheeting of the dough on a rondo production table, um, we still pick up and weigh every single loaf by hand, place it into that crimp pan. Um, the bread comes out of the oven because it's two piece pan. It's 
Um, it takes two people to to unload that the bread from the pans, put it onto cooling racks. Um, the butter and sugar process. I've had various quotes on automating that por- part of the process to get a piece of equipment that might be able to give the instead of a butter bath, maybe give the a butter shower. Yeah, butter spray. <laughs> yeah, right. I would call it a shower, yeah. but you know, whatever. And then toss the cinnamon sugar on it. Could automate that. But I've gotten upwards of three to four hundred thousand dollars to to develop that piece of equipment for me because it doesn't exist. Uh. And so right now we're we're still doing that by hand, literally mm-hmm. by hand. Um, goes through a slicer. It is on a conveyor that passes it through the slicing blades, and then by hand that bread is gently uh, placed into bags. It goes through uh, you know, another conveyor, uh, an automatic clipper closes the bag, and then it goes through um, metal detection as part of our hazard and con- critical control uh, point uh, process. And um, and then it's uh, boxed, palletized, and goes into the freezer. Um, you know, but we've really expanded. We, we uh, diversified the product line um, out of necessity mm-hmm. to, to continue double-digit growth. Um, we uh, co-pack for other brands. Um, we make uh, different shape breads, not just the crimp breads. We also do traditional loaf pan breads now. Oh, okay. um, it was an opportunity that came up. A bakery in the Midwest uh, um, was only making – it was a 110-store um, supermarket chain that almost everything out of their bakeries – they had a bakery at every location. Almost everything out of their bakeries was coming out of freezers now. They're having a hard time except for one item. They were making uh, chunky bread on their um, bench tops okay. and they're finding it hard to, to hire and train skilled bakers. And so they wanted to find a, you know, somebody to co-pack it for them. So I uh, reverse engineered their bread and presented it to them and didn't get that sale, but we had <laughs> developed oh, no. ourselves how to make another type of bread and all of our customers loved it. So it became quickly a, yeah. a, a, a top seller. But your swirl breads have all kinds of different flavors oh, yeah, now. Yeah, we, we've extended the product. The, the, I like uh, the flavors. cranberry. The cranberry, yeah, it was. So we moved to this building with basically six different flavored swirl breads. Mm-hmm. Of course, the classic cinnamon swirl, the original. Um, and then who doesn't love cinnamon raisin yes. bread, right? So those oh, are our top two sellers. They're available year round. And they came up with four seasonal breads. Um, a uh, pumpkin mm-hmm. cinnamon swirl bread. Um, that's you know probably the biggest seasonal flavor. Cranberry for the fourth quarter mm-hmm. in, in the winter months. Um, chocolate chip for uh, the the spring and, the ch- and what I call the chocolate holidays: Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, and Easter. Yes. Um, and then apple for summertime. Oh, okay. Cinnamon apple. And right. then you have your savory ones now too. Yeah, we we developed savory shortly after coming in a new mm-hmm. facility. Um, we sold them to a lot of our our incumbent customers, but they flopped. We put so much time into developing those. What we learned is by the time they hit market, you know, it took us a while to really convince the supermarket shopper what a crimped style cinnamon swirl bread was. If they were retail bakery shoppers, they knew. And there were a lot of them that did shop at a retail bakery for special occasions. Mm -hmm. So they at least had some familiarity of what this bread was. But all of a sudden, we make these savory breads. It was starting over from point one on consumer education. They had no idea how to use it, what it was for, and we didn't have the budget to educate them. If we were a billion dollar company or even a multi-million yeah. dollar company, we would have done a big ad campaign. We would have had in-store demos. We didn't have that type of budget to put behind it. We did have a couple small operators that also used it in their hot deli to make mm-hmm. grilled cheese sandwiches. Yeah, um, One made these handheld pizzas, mini pizzas yeah. with it. Th- those bakeries where it was featured in the hot deli, they did phenomenal. They sold really well with it. 
Yeah, could, yeah so, just make a sandwich with it. It's right, wonderful. Right, right. Oh yeah, they're so flavorful. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, that, that's that's kind of why it flopped. Uh, but mm. it was a big learn. I mean, it was it, I, I, to me, it wasn't a failure. Yeah, it was a great, great learning opportunity for us in R and D and bringing new products to market. Okay, all right. So, so you know that that gets us into 2018. Our you know we uh, half of the year 2016 in a new facility, end of year double digit sales growth, 2017. Um, end a year with double digit sales growth and we're keeping up with the S- SBA commitments and keeping up with our uh, mortgage and, and our um, uh, expansion expectations and uh, um, 2018 halfway through the year we're well on our way to another double digit sales growth and a little bit halfway through the year I get a call we, we provide a product it was a component for a finished product mm-hmm. so we were more of an ingredient supplier than a bread baker for this right. company and then they resold that finished product to a large uh, retailer, okay, north of 800 locations, big business. We knew it was a concentrated risk. We accepted that risk. It was 40% of my business, one customer, mm-hmm. one product line. Um, and we always expected that this menu would change one day because menus are fluid. They right. evolve, sure. Right. But billion company do- dollar companies do not turn on a dime. We always assumed that we would have strategic information shared with us. Mm-hmm. We didn't. I get a call one day. Hey, Scott, that truck of bread we're picking up Monday. Yeah, it's the last one. XYZ is going in another direction. And uh, now this is know. a this is a bread that they put in a sandwich that they sold. It was used as a component for a menu item. Yeah. And so they used right. Yeah, using, it was, they made a sandwich. Yeah, they made, made a sandwich. sandwich so it, they right. were selling. So they decided not to use that bread they anymore in their not sandwich. To use that bread. So they were changing to a different type of sandwich. Mm-hmm. It was a waffle. Okay. Um, they were trying to capture in 2018, if you remember the rage, was chicken oh, and yeah. waffles. So they wanted a waffle chicken sandwich. Yeah, I gotcha. You're not going to replace a croissant. You're not going to replace um, a, a bagel. You're right. not going to replace an English muffin. What are you going to replace a waffle with yeah. a waffle? Yeah. Cinnamon swirl bread. Yeah. Right. It's the closest thing. I get it. I, you right. know, I understood. Um, but, you know, it was, a, it was a death nail to me. And, um, you know, I, I, I did, uh, I pled my case. Um, we got a couple more months of, of accelerated, you know, or last uh, remnants of business out of it. So it kind of saved 2018. We didn't end a year double digit sales growth. We ended the first time I ever had a decline in revenue. Um, it was about a 10% drop in revenue in 2018. And I was always transparent. I, you know, I, I've had people come and ask me, can you pay me under the table? No, I don't. First of all, I'm not a cash business. I don't have cash to pay you under the table. But right. I don't, I don't want to have a chance of my books being audited. And I, I just want to run my business the right way so right. I can sleep at night. I got mm-hmm. nothing to worry about. I've always been transparent. When that customer called me up and said, we're losing, I was losing that chunk of business. I called my banker and said, look, I don't know what's going to happen next. I think I can recover that top line. It's going to take me a while. And so my bank and the SBA were, were always... Um, aligned with what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, uh, we end 2018. Um, and when we lost that business, um, I, you know, I lost 40% of my business. I had to lay off 40% of my crew. And I sat with every, every single employee started with the ones that were affected by a layoff um, one-on-one between me and them. And then the HR, uh, my HR director sat in a room with us as well. And I delivered the news and and explained a situation. And there were a lot of tears on both sides of the mm-hmm. table and everybody understood and everybody, you know, I mean, there was no anger or anything like that. It was a tough emotional day. It was probably the most difficult emotional day I've ever had in my life, mm-hmm. truthfully. Yeah. Um, 
and then, you know, after that went through, then I, I think, I think the rest of the team, I brought them all together as a group and explained what happened and said, you know, if you're here, it's because, you know, your job is, is still intact and this and that. So then the next day I bring, I had a, a key management team of eight people. I bring them into a round table and I guarantee you a lot of those people probably thought, okay, here comes 40% of the key management teams getting cut. And remember we had just all these years of supersonic growth and mm-hmm. great big plans to turn this business into, mm-hmm. you know, a game changer. I believe that. Mm-hmm. And, um, it wasn't just my vision at this point, you know, my, my, uh, quality assurance officer, she was equally as instrumental as in developing this place. Um, the blueprints and working with the Austin company as I was, I mean, we did this together. And so I sat around a table and I said, look, I think we can recover the top line. It's going to be a lot of hard work. I think that, um, I can't do it without you. And so I could be laying off 40% of you, but what I'm going to ask you instead is that if everybody takes a 25% pay cut around this table, we can get this done. Not a single person refused. Every single person agreed took the pay cut and stayed with the team and rolled up their sleeves and went to work and worked harder. Wow. And so this is 2019 beginning of the year. Um, I'm also lining up some working capital. I work with a, a local, uh, um, uh, capital, a uh, pride bridgeway capital. Mm-hmm. Um, they got a specific mission to help manufacturers in Allegheny County. Um, I get to the 11th hour with them. We've got the two, there's three signatures required to sign off on the loan gets to the third signature who happened to be the brand new CEO of this business. And he's like, uh, your projections are great, but, um, before I sign this, can you, um, get it into me in the form of contracts and letters of intent? And I'm like, I, I, that's not how my industry works. Mm-mm. I can't get a contract for at will purchasing of bread. I can't go to this category buyer at Giant Eagle and say, can you give me a letter of intent? I know we're going forward with this business that we're developing together, but I need a letter of intent. Her response would be, are you in trouble, Scott? I got to rethink this deal. I would have yeah. lost those right. projections. And so he, he didn't rescind the deal, but he said, when you have letters of intent, come back to me. Well, and March comes, uh, April comes, I need capital. Uh, my revenues are 40%. I go to a merchant cash advance, mm. save the business. It was expensive and it turned, it, it, it became a daily factor. Mm-hmm. And uh, by June of that year, I needed a second one. And by August of that year, I needed a third one. And now August and September, I can't afford the daily withdrawals from my account anymore. Um, I'm, you know, my crew, and, and this is, I mean, this is incredibly personal stuff that people don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this is, uh, this is the first time I'm publicly sharing this information. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2019, I lost 50 pounds. I wasn't sleeping. Got um, a few gray hairs. I, yeah. When, <laughs> I, I have, I, you know, <laughs> yeah, a few, um, but I come into work with, with, you know, a strong face and, and a determined attitude. I didn't want anybody that worked f- with me or for me to be shaken yeah, and feel that there was uncertainty. Uh, but my wife was my rock. Yeah. Um, you know, she's like, Scott, no matter what happens, we'll get this through this and we'll get through it together. Even if we got to close the doors. Well, then I'm sitting at my desk, um, already kind of shaken because how am I going to come up with payroll this week? And, uh, um, my security guard comes in and said, Scott, Duquesne light was just here with a three day shutoff notice. Ugh. 
I literally started shaking uncontrollably. Three day. I left. It's probably the closest I've ever been in my life to a nervous breakdown. Mm-hmm. And um, through my arms, I don't know what to do. Yeah. I, I called um, a business coach that I had at the time, um, a, an advisor. Um, couldn't get a hold of either. My, I called a former business coach and business partner. And uh, I was talking to Steve. Steve said, Scott, call your attorney. Um, file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. As soon as that automatic stay is in place, you'll be able to figure it out. So I called my attorneys. Um, <clears throat> and at this point, you know, I'm still working with Huntington. I'm in forbearance with them, mm-hmm. um, doing all the right things. Mm-hmm. Call my attorney. Um, it was Tucker Arnsberg, big firm. Mm-hmm. My attorney puts me in touch with their uh, their business and, and, and reorganization division, meet with with uh this guy incredible uh good attorneys teaching me everything but he's like we got to check and make sure we don't do any business with Huntington or a big law firm got to make sure that there's no conflicts of interest they had a small deal going on with with the bank Mm -hmm. um that they wouldn't relinquish the uh um the uh conflict of interest and so I had to go to a different attorney Mm -hmm. went to a I'm not going to name them um Mm -hmm. went to another attorney and uh Began my education on the Chapter 11 mm-hmm. bankruptcy process of so mid-September through uh, Dece- mid-December. I'm learning this process at this point in time. The automatic stay. No, we didn't file for Chapter 11 because the intent to file, I couldn't talk directly with my banker anymore. Mm-hmm. Our conversations were through attorneys. Right. Um, the daily withdrawals from the Merchant Cash Advance were, um, we moved our business banking to another bank. So that was discontinued. We now had cash flow to operate the business. Okay. And um, uh, start, you know, I paid the attorney and the financial advisor that he recommended mm-hmm. probably $60,000 over those three months when I have no <sighs> money to do it. Um, and, and throughout the year, you know, the, the merchant cash advances are one thing, but I borrowed over almost $200,000 from my brother. I borrowed almost $200,000 from other friend, friends and family in, in $10,000 increments. I cashed out my retirement. Um, yeah. Uh, almost $200,000. We had, uh, you know, not a, quite a hundred thousand dollars saved up for my, my high school age son's college education. Mm-hmm. Put that into business. We put everything we had into the business. It wasn't just that I was borrowing money. We were all in personally, yeah. everything. I, it Did your own me, crowdfunding. It, 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 absolutely. Right. Yeah. It was, it was nearly a million dollars that we needed, uh, to come up with it, that, that we did, um, in 2019. So here we are, and it mid December 2019, and um, the attorney's like, "All right, we're getting ready to file this motion for Chapter 11." And I'm like, "Even though I was majority shareholder, and I only needed my vote to make a decision, um, I had friends and family that invested over the years into the business uh, since I, the day I started, um, and so I'm not going to take this action without cluing them in." I called a shareholder meeting, had asked for the authorization to file Chapter 11 in the coming months, if I felt that that was the right course of action to do. Well, the day of this meeting, the attorney finally gives me a budget for the next six months in the process of chapter 11. And I go down to the line item where it says attorney and um, financial advising fees for six months, a budget of $300,000. What? I'm like, John, if I had $300,000, I wouldn't be in this position. I wouldn't have to file for chapter 11 bankruptcy. Um, hung up the, the, the call with my shareholders. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my shareholders then called me up personally. She said, Scott, your attorney's screwing you. I'm like, I just kind of realized yeah. that. I feel it. 
I fired him that day. I sent an email to my banker. I said, Matt, you and I haven't been able to talk man to man in months, but I fired my attorney today. Can we set up a call? He said, all right, Scott. Yeah. So next Friday, it turns out to be the Friday before Christmas, 2019. Get on a call with Matt. Matt, how you doing? I'm good. You know, how about yourself? What's going on with the business? I'm like, well, all the commercial cash advance, I at least we have negotiated to convert the short-term uh, repayment to long-term, or not really long-term. It was termed out to th- between three and five years. And so now we had a managed uh, repayment plan. I wasn't right. gonna. I wasn't gonna stick anybody. Right. Um, and we also had twenty five percent growth from our projections on two thousand nineteen. It wasn't growth over last year, obviously, but mm-hmm. it was growth of where we projected to be. So I said, Matt, you know, with this growth, with the MCAs coming to table, would Huntington Bank be willing to um, restructure this loan? And uh, um, he said, Scott, I think we've been down the road too far. Um, in delinquency. I don't think I could get that done. I said, I understand Matt, but that puts me on a short spectrum. And here's where I think I am. I can either hand you the keys and help you liquidate this place, or I can, I'm pretty confident I could find a real estate investor that would come and buy the building and short sale to the bank and the SBA, but it'd be a far better deal than liquidation. And Matt's like, I can't make any promises, but if you can find that deal, bring it to me. And oh, by the way, it's about 90 days before you lock your doors. So, I mean, Huntington Bank was awesome. They had worked with me. They had given me this asset, this guy in their bank to try to work out the issues. And I was doing everything I could to at least honor the deal that we had made with the bank in the best way possible that I was in position to do. In 30 days, I had a real estate investor. We made an offer to the bank. The bank accepted. So now we're at the end of January. Um, Okay, repackage this offer so we can present it to the SBA. And, um, and then, Hey, let's move forward. Now, what was going to happen is I would have broke, um, a deal with the SBA five generation bakers, LLC would have had to dissolve my shareholders and myself would have lost all our equity in the business. A new entity could have moved in, taken over. Um, I could have been a manager for that entity, but I couldn't own that entity. Okay. And, um, but my employees could have a job. Jenny Lee, World Bread would still exist to vendors. It would seem like just a merger. Hey, checks are coming from somebody else yes. now. It would have been a seamless thing. We present this deal in a package. Um, I had a great a local real estate investor um, who was willing to, c- to come and be our landlord. And um, we submit this to the SBA. And then the pandemic hits yeah. in March of 2020. I'm thinking, well, CARES Act is passed. SBA is overseeing billions and billions in loans. They're not going to get time to even review my my application, which once you know it, they come back and like, despite this pandemic going on, Scott, yeah, we accept your deal. I go to the landlord. He's like, how's this affecting your business? June, uh, you know, April, May, June, July, our business was 30% of what we had projected for the year. You know, he's like, I'll wait to see, you know, what happens. Nobody knew what was going to happen. Right. It's unprecedented times. Right. You know, whole world is shut down. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, a good portion of my business was school business. Schools are sh- shut down. Yeah. I lost all that business. The 40, uh, the 40% of my business was restaurants. Restaurants are shut down. We lost all that business. And people are like, you must've been killing in the supermarket. Except that we were sold in a bakery department where those are occasion sales. People were going in for birthday parties, first mm-hmm. communions, graduations. Those events aren't happening. Right. We're impulse sales. People aren't visiting the bakery. So 
our supermarket sales declined too. Our business, you know, we don't know what we're going to do. So anyways, at this point, the bank understands, yeah, yeah, we don't have to close on this deal until this is all figured out. Again, Huntington was phenomenal to work with us. And, uh, they were waiting and, for that two-week pandemic to be over. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to be home for two weeks, exactly. I kind of forgot about that, but that's right. It was the two-week pandemic. Yeah, two weeks, you know, it's, it's been, you know, a couple of years. But, you know, that said, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, what happened is our business recovered. By the end of the year, we were actually, despite being down for a four or five month clip at only 30% of what we anticipated mm-hmm. we would have in business. We ended that year with a 25% growth. Yeah. Um, Thank you pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we had done even a lot more uh, um, expansion uh, of our product line with 30% of the business. You know, I couldn't keep everybody employed. I, I, I was not eligible for PPP because we were in default on an SBA loan. And that was the number two question on the application. Uh, have, you know, are you in default or have you ever, uh, uh, are you a delinquent or have you ever defaulted on an SBA loan? I wasn't going to lie and go to jail for fraud. Oh, so I didn't know you could I said, get- yes. The banker from their New York office from Key Bank calls me up and she's like, are you sure you want to answer it this way? I'm like, well, I'm sure I'm in uh, delinquency with my bank right now. So yeah, I'm sure that's how I want to answer it. Okay. I just making sure cause it's most likely going to disqualify you for the PP. Yep. Sure enough. It did. Oh. We got an idle loan. We were, um, you know, so we were able to, to, to survive then. Plus, you know, we had recovered, uh, uh, revenues by the end of the year, but we, what we would do is we would lay our employees off for a week. The waiting period for unemployment was waived so they could immediately be eligible for stimulated unemployment. And then they would come back and work for me for a week so we could still supply the 30% of business that we did have. But my key managers, we never took a week off. Oh, okay. When it was a week with no employees here, I did a little bit of research. And actually, um, uh, Cody Baxter, my marketing director at the time, he and I sat down and we looked what CPG companies came out of the recession from 2008 better and stronger than they went into it. And the common theme with all those businesses was that they focused during the toughest times they focused on R&D and marketing. Okay. And so we didn't have a marketing budget, but we really ramped up what we were doing marketing. Cody came up with this great program. We had these test, we had these 4,000 whole wheat test loaves in a freezer that we were selling into another customers. They were selling it into their restaurants as a test market. Well, all their testing stopped at the pandemic. Right. We're sitting on these 4,000 loaves of bread. Cody's like, people can't get to the store. Can we, can we give it to customers for free? I'm like, if they pay for the shipping, we'll give them the bread for free. It was a phenomenal program. We ended up giving over, giving away over 10,000 loaves of bread to customers that just asked for it. Really? We did. Wow. So that was our marketing. And then in the weeks when our bakers weren't here, our, my management team went to, went to town. We, we, div, we did so much R&D that year, brownies, um, you know, brownie cakes, just anything you can imagine. We developed things that are actually now mm-hmm. on our product line, sticky okay. buns. Um, so, you know, ultimately that, that's how we spent our time. So 2020 ends the year. Now I'm uh, reestablishing a relationship with Huntington again. I've reestablished my mortgage. We're paying it in full. We're paying principal down again. I can't, I can't tell you how blessed it was that my banking relationship was with Huntington Bank. And, and for them, you know, I understand one out of six small businesses was in default. So, you know, there was a lot more going on than just five generation bakers challenges. Um, and I think that allowed probably 
the attitude of a little patience mm-hmm. with me and, and with the SBA, but they allowed us to exist. Yeah. 21, we, we ended up with another 20% growth. 22, we ended up with another 30% growth. 23, we ended up with 36% growth. Wonderful. This year, we're going to have 40% growth. It's phenomenal. Wonderful. We've recovered our top line. In fact, our 23 top line, my my, my uh, I keep smacking the, the <laughs> microphone here, but <laughs> the biggest revenue year we ever had was 2017, and we surpassed it by 20%. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. So where does QVC come into all this? Yeah, QVC was, you know, was an opportunity of um, the pandemic. I had met these brokers, QVC brokers, in, uh, I think, in 17 or maybe it was 18. And uh, they loved our bread, so they pitch it on our behalf to QVC. And QVC at this time is like, it's a really nice product, but we don't see it fitting in. Thanks, but no thanks. Really? And, you know... Okay, it is what it is. You know, I, I was as, as, you know, I'm the president, I'm the national sales manager, I'm the CFO, I'm the, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wear many hats here. Um, you know, as a sales manager, though, you get, you don't take no's personally. It's, it is mm-hmm. what it is. You know, you, you just keep plugging at it and trying to find the right uh, opportunities. Well, then fast forward, a pandemic happens and, you know, we saw our own mail order online business skyrocket 500%. Right. And most businesses have fo- sold food online realized the same thing. QVC was no different. They had sold food mm-hmm. from their format. They had moved out of the studio to via Skype and were letting their guests sell from their home kitchens and things like that. Well, this broker that I work with, she was savvy enough and remembered me. She she picked up the phone and called me and said, hey, Scott, it's Pat from uh, Spectrum Brokers. Um, do you want to go after QVC again? I said, oh, Pat, that's a great idea. Yeah, let's do it. And so she presented the bread again. And this time they're like, yeah, we love it. All right. Come on in. Uh, so this was probably in April. It took uh, maybe May. It took maybe May or June. We actually got the approval that they mm-hmm. wanted to add us to their lineup. Um, I'm, I get on QVC for the first time in November of of uh, 2020, it took about six months to test my Skype connection to, you know, there was some training classes to help me understand how to be an an effective host and, um, you know, follow their guidelines and policies and and so on. So you did Um, it on Skype, not in, you didn't go to their studio yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah, So the first time I'm I'm like, ah, dang it. You know, I I don't get to go in studio and experience the environment, the excitement of being under the cameras and engaging with the host on stage. Mm -hmm. I was really bummed. Yeah. Well, then after being on for like 25, 30 times, I'm like, thank God I don't have to drive across the state for four and a half hours. Yeah. (laughs) Every time. Um, But now we're back in studio. No, it's, it's, it's it's the, the, uh, the Skype, they still allow for Skype, Mm -hmm. uh, but frankly, the cell is so much more engaging and, and, and effective. Um, the Q fan, the QVC fan loves seeing that rapport. I mean, I like it's, it's a nine hour round trip for me for eight minutes of airtime, eight minutes, eight minutes of airtime. Wow. But I'll tell you, you know, these people have become my friends. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they're just so engaging. They are so good at what they do. They're the ultimate professionals. Um, and it's, it's a much different experience um, for me to stand side by side as I explain what's so special about Jenny Lee Swirlbread than when I'm doing it between a yeah. computer screen. So they never reuse their their films? They never, like, they, they, you visit once and then, like, a month later, you just... Do it again, same product, 
But, but, you, you but I'm saying they don't just use the old film. They don't. They make it come so in every time. Sometimes they do. It's it's rare. I mean, they're they're alive. They, their their customers, their fan base expects. They don't want to see reruns. They expect. I'm not sure I could tell the difference though. Yeah. Well, true. And and they and, and the and the videos live online, so mm-hmm. you can always go and see every single. Uh, time I've ever been on QVC um, just by going to, to YouTube. Wow. Um, the most recent airing lives on their website okay. until I sell that same product again, and then they'll refresh it. Um, and then sometimes they'll do a rerun. They'll mm-hmm. have a, a down hour in the middle of the night, um, or they do have – there's QVC 1, QVC 2, and QVC 3. There's three different channels. Oh, yeah? I've never been on 3. I'm not sure what 3 is about. I don't know either. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, so, haven't seen that. Right. But, you know – QVC has been a phenomenal partnership um, relationship. It's expanded that brand and that brand awareness. Jenny Lee is becoming a national um, mm-hmm. uh, brand. Um, over the last 18 months, we've shipped into 150,000 households in all 50 states. Wow. So then you get to demonstrate it. So all that right. that le- right. learning curve you think some people need. Well, yeah, you know? that's where the savory breads have done really well because I can show you how to use it. Yeah. And the and I think that like I think of swirl bread. Of course, you slice it and you toast it, but I, you have to make French toast out of oh, it. Oh yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. if you don't make French toast out of it, you're missing something. Yeah, that's that's the hero uh, delivery. Yeah. Of, of the French of the swirl bread. Yeah, I saw one of the QVC ones where they cut it up and made it like a French toast casserole. Right. And I'm looking at it going, no. No, yeah. no, don't do that. Yeah. Just make yeah. French toast out of oh, it. There's, but there's so many good ways to do it. I mean, one of my favorite ways is literally take a, a scoop of um, vanilla yogurt, okay. um, spread it on, and then slice bananas. Okay. And you, you have a fresh slice of bread. It doesn't even yeah. need to be toasted. And yeah. um, and that, you know, that fresh, clean vanilla yogurt and yeah. then a healthy piece of fruit. All right. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I do like the. I watched the different, some of the different recipes and I thought this is the way to sell it because mm-hmm. people go, well, I can't make that sandwich unless I buy the bread. Right. You know, right. I can't make that French toast unless I buy the bread. Well, you, you can't beat a, a, a um, after Thanksgiving or Easter when you got ham, mm-hmm. thick cut ham, mm-hmm. um, take our cinnamon raisin bread, spread a little um, Hellman's mayonnaise, mm-hmm. not Miracle Whip, that's... Yeah, that's not. I'm sorry, I like Miracle uh, Whip. Okay, well, you can use Miracle okay, Whip. I use Hellman. I, like I know Miracle some people Whip. use Dukes. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever is your jam. Yeah. And um, iceberg lettuce. I prefer the the crunch mm, yes. to an iceberg yes, piece of too. lettuce, and a couple slices of thick cut ham. Yeah. That is one of the best sandwiches. That's that sweet would be and savory. Good. It's a, just a beautiful I don't think I can convince my husband flavors. to do the raisins, but I can yeah. do that. Blindfold him and say, I'm going to make you taste something. Don't yeah, tell him right. what it is, and I bet he'll like it. No, he doesn't like the texture of a raisin. I don't understand. He's all, <laughs> all right. I, but we eat cranberry. Do, do, do the, uh, yeah, he's, he, your husband's bizarre. I know, because he'll eat cranberries, <laughs> but he won't eat raisins. I'm like, they're the same what thing. What a weirdo. One's brown and one's red. I don't understand why. If it's, if it's if you're telling me it's a texture thing, <laughs> I'm just kidding you, John. You're <laughs> you're not as weird as I am. <laughs> yeah. So I know you're getting into some other things now right, too. Right. So tell yeah, so, us tell us about where they're going next. So yeah, it, it gives us the opportunity to really flex our wings and um, uh, or spread our wings. I guess I yeah. use two different cliches there as yeah. one, but oh, well. uh, yeah, spread our wings and try some new things. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't all work. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, QVC is a popularity contest. If it does well, it'll be yeah. back. If it doesn't do well, it won't be. If um, they get tired of you, you're gone for a while. Yeah, you know, I live in, you know, a constant fear. Am I going to be, so, you know, it, 
are they going to tire a Jenny Lee? Are they going to tire a Scott Baker? Uh, I sure hope that doesn't turn out to be now, the case. Now, are they but... loyal? Like if somebody other bread company tried to get in there, they'd say, no, I'm sorry, we're, we're so with I Jenny So I don't think they want to... Um, you know, I don't know what their strategies are exactly. I don't think they would bring in another cinnamon swirl bread, but they would, they do sell some other um, breads. Uh, they, one uh, kind of a mentor of mine, Jimmy the Baker, um, he is a been on QVC for at least a decade. He he's a he's a fantastic baker. Um, I've met him several times. He mm-hmm. actually before I was on QVC, he came to my bakery to look at some equipment we were selling, and we became friends. Um, he's given me a lot of tips and pointers. He makes um, a swirl. A holiday bread that is similar to mine. It's delicious. Mm-hmm. I bought it. You know, I mm-hmm. got to try out the competition. It doesn't compete head to head. It's a different style. Mm-hmm. It is rolled in butter and cinnamon sugar like ours. Mm-hmm. I think you know maybe he stole that from me, or probably not, because every old world baker uses that method. Right. Um, but it was a truly delicious product. I, you know, there's room for a lot of similar products mm-hmm. to exist. People have different tastes. Okay. Not everybody's going to like Jimmy the Baker. Not everybody is going to like Jenny Lee. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, what we've done now too, and I, I get to have fun creating new products. The latest one we did was a banana split cinnamon swirl bread. And, and that idea was, um, really born, uh, with one of our employees, um, Mike, Mikey's been here almost three years and he comes through an agency called life's work. Uh, part of our commitment to our community is working to put these, um, um, uh, individuals to work, uh, you know, may have some, some challenges different than you and I, mm-hmm. um, but they, they can still contribute to, to, to making a successful, um, operation. And so Mikey comes in three days of work, always has a smile on his face. And he's like, Scott, can, can we make a bread with bananas in it? And I'm like, that sounds good. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. Next time we do some RD, well then a couple of weeks or months go by and Mike, Scott, can we try a banana bread? I'm like, all right, you know what? QVC is asking me for some more flavors. How do you like banana bread? He's like, I like banana nut bread. And I said, well, I don't want to deal with nuts. Um, right. You know, we we used to have nut breads, but we eliminated them because we just wanted to get that was, you know, all our other allergens are common allergens in every break, bread we make. We didn't right. want to have that one tree nut allergen present. We'd have to wipe out pans, do a different... We always do right. an allergen clean every day, but it became a struggle to schedule that as the last one of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you had a, you know, an urgent need for pumpkin nut bread. And so we would have to make it first and then we'd have to do a second allergen clean that day. But, you know, so eventually I just changed it from pumpkin nut to pumpkin pie, cinnamon swirl bread to right. eliminate that allergen. So I'm like, okay, Mike, I'm not going to do a nut bread. So it won't be banana nut. What's your favorite way to eat bananas? And he said, banana split. Yeah. I'm like, now you're talking. That's going to be a fun bread to create. So I go to my QVC broker, Pat. I'm like, hey, um, here's some ideas for for next year. And I hadn't even, you know, just, this is ideas in my mm-hmm. head at this point. She came back a couple weeks later. She said, Scott, QVC loved the idea of the banana split bread. It's launching on January 11th. I'm like, Pat, I haven't <laughs> even made one R&D project yet. So we went into lightning speed um, making, I mean, at least at this point, I had done so much R&D in 2020 mm-hmm. that I kind of became an expert at it. And I knew how to skip a bunch of steps or at least fast forward yeah. through those processes to um, have almost a working mm-hmm. uh, uh, prototype that just needed a couple of tweaks. And and I got some great bakers that work here too. And so we went to work and I think it was the fifth iteration of the banana split bread that was the winner. Everybody liked it. Um, so what's in it? Well, it's a 500 pounds of dough. 
And 115 of that is banana puree. So it's it's mostly bananas. Yeah. Um, but bananas are very mild flavor. We had we kept increasing the bananas and to to get it to where you could pick up that. But we didn't want to be overpowering either because it's banana split. There's vanilla ice cream. There's whipped cream. There's chocolate. Uh, there's hot fudge. There's cherries. So we've got vanilla for the vanilla ice cream. We've Instead of water, we use heavy cream. Okay. Um, we use glacé cherries. All right. Glacé is it's it's a different style of cherry, very similar to maraschino cherries, okay. but that just more of the liquid is cooked off or drained off. Okay. And then we use chocolate chips uh, right. for the hot fudge. So it's got all the ma- the five components of um, of a, a banana split, a traditional bl- banana split. That's funny because my traditional banana split has pineapple. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. so I'm. Yeah. I just... Well, you know what? I'm actually going to be um, meeting with uh, the people from Valley Dairy. Oh, okay. You're familiar with them out yeah. of Latrobe. Uh huh. Um, so um, we learned that they told me that um, the the banana split was invented in Latrobe. Okay. And so uh, we're going to do a promotion with them in co-op, and mm-hmm. uh, they're going to feature our breads. Um, we haven't even had a first meeting yet, so we don't know exactly how it's going to happen. But uh, um, you know, we're looking forward to this partnership with Valley Dairy, and, and I think it's in August is National Banana Split Day. So yeah. I'll find out if if the original banana split had pineapples. Yeah, that's or what not. we did. It was vanilla ice cream, and it had chocolate sauce, and it had um, but obviously bananas, and it had a pineapple sauce. It was pineapple. It was just like, you know, to me, it was like thin jelly. And my grandmother would make it that way. It always had the pineapple. Okay. And I always thought that's what it was supposed to have. Yeah. Well, who knows? I I don't know. But banana bread, banana bread with chocolate chips, that, I mean, right there, that's fine with me. Right. Right. I mean, that's what my family likes because we don't eat nuts in our house. Okay. We have some allergies. So. We do the we do things like I put chocolate chips in the banana right, bread, in the right. zucchini there bread, and all oh, that kind yeah, of stuff. Oh yeah, chocolate chips and zucchini bread—that's so good. I wonder what would happen if you made zucchini swirl bread. Yeah, there I gave that's you an, an idea. idea. Right I tomorrow, mean, um, we've got an R and D session for a blueberry muffin cinnamon swirl bread. Oh, that sounds fantastic! Right, you know. So I don't want to be just plain Jane. I don't want to have you know cinnamon raisin. Well, cinnamon raisin is traditional. So when I yes. come up with these other flavors, like pumpkin pie cinnamon swirl. Bread. That sounds delicious, yeah. right? Banana split cinnamon swirl bread. There's, yes. I'm, I'm willing to bet there's not a bakery in the world that is making banana split bread. Right. So, um, you know, I guess we're we're one of a kind there. Blueberry. There's a lot of blueberry breads out there. Is anybody making a blueberry muffin bread? I don't no, know. No, that, that reminds me you have to have that muffin topping in there right. somewhere. So I don't know about having a streusel yeah. So you're, I think you're talking yeah. about a cinnamon streusel. Yeah, I'm not sure if we're going to do a cinnamon streusel one, but my plan is um, we're going to replace one bag of flour with a bag of muffin mix. Yeah. To add that that cake flavor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have um, IQF blueberries. Right. Um, we have blueberry um, fruit concentrate. Mm-hmm. Generally, it's it's. I mean, it's all natural um, fruit. This very very concentrated. A lot of times, it's used to to uh, flavor icings. So we'll put that into the dough, which I anticipate will give the um, the dough a blue tint as well. Oh, yeah. um, we'll mix the dough to full development, 
and then we will add the um, blueberries to the last half minute. And the idea is the IQF, individually quick frozen, um, they will not fully break up. They're so soft. If I mix them at the beginning of the dough, yeah. it, you'd just see little pieces of skin or, or whatever. Right. Right. Um, I want chunks of blueberries right. in, in this. Right. So. You know what's another flavor would be great? Peach Melba. Oh, there you go. That's, yeah, that's peaches a good one. Yeah. and raspberry. Right, right. I mean, because it's only two flavors. You can make the bread peach and put a raspberry yeah. in there. Yeah. And peach Melba, you can stick some cinnamon in there. There you go. You can. So we, So my one buddy's uh, daughter uh, keeps keeps uh, telling him to bug me to make a um, maple bacon cinnamon swirl <gasps> bread. Ooh. <laughs> She may get her wish, but uh, yeah. they, you know I got to look into seeing dealing with w- with a meat product, and again, it's the oh, concern yeah. of then you got the USDA in here. It, well, it, so if we bought already cooked bacon, it wouldn't be a USDA you concern, have to. right? No, but oh, that's good. It's you know we would have segregated pans um, so yeah. that things are not. Um, uh, influencing um, the other products that we make. So. Right. Oh yeah, you wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, but you could do so many seasonal things. Mm-hmm. Now, does this work well in the retail space to come out with seasonal things? So when you send them to your... It does, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I would think that, you know, switching things up, maybe the stores wouldn't want that, but they do want it. You know, it's hit or miss. Um, A lot of them do. The number one seasonal bread that we sell is the pumpkin pie cinnamon swirl Mm -hmm. bread. Uh, You know, pumpkin is such a huge seasonal product. Cranberry does really good in stores at Christmas time, Mm -hmm. um, but not nearly the hit that the pumpkin is. Um, The apple is probably... People want to sell that year round. We've got some retailers that just don't want it as a seasonal. They want it as a standard. We'll we'll make it for them year round. That's not a problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- yeah. There's even memes on you know on social media. What like in August going? It's too early for pumpkins. Leave it alone. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. People. <laughs> I mean, we're assuming it at pumpkin year round, but yeah. That would the season pumpkin season keeps expanding. Yeah, but you know, if it's year round and you lose the excitement of oh, it. Oh, I think that too. Yeah. I always tell yeah, people sure. if there's a food product that's available. My example to you would be that we love corned beef for St. Patrick's Day. And my kids would love me to make that year round. I said, nope. If I do that, then when we do it for St. Patrick's Day, you won't even care. Yep. I said, so that's the only time we have that meal. You know, it's just like Thanksgiving turkey. You don't have Thanksgiving dinner in July or or your September. You have it once a year. Right. So keep that special thing going. Mm -hmm. So now you're getting into some other products now too, are you? Yeah, tons of, yeah, we got a lot of, so, so, uh, um, one of the things that 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 happened last year um is so we started being asked can you make this can you make that and you know i was a retail baker i can make anything mm-hmm. um I, I but i designed a bakery to focus on sweetbreads and so snack cakes aren't in my purview they're not necessarily um something that i can do efficiently here um, but we want to diversify. We want to expand our line. The Jenny Lee brand is really gaining some traction. Um, and there's a lot of other great bakeries out there that I'm friends with owners and even bakeries that I don't know the owners, but they exist and they do wonderful products and they've got more capacity than what they're able to fill on their own. And so, um, a, a, a guy that I did co-pack for, um, uh, who's got a lot of industry experience, 
Uh, he, he and I became good friends over the period of time that I produced his product for him, uh, Marco Ront. Um, he was a, uh, a fast food franchisee uh, owner for a couple decades. He's developed some um, CPG products that have done exceptionally well in the market and still exist, and, and, and he earns royalties on those. He and I started talking about what it would mean to expand the Jenny Lee brand name beyond products that we produce here at Five Generation Bakers. Um, things that I don't have the expertise or capacity or or equipment to produce. And so he and I founded uh, Swirly Snacks LLC. Okay. Solely to produce Jenny Lee branded products. So Swirly Snacks is the exclusive licensee of Jenny Lee of the Jenny Lee brand. Okay. Um, specifically for things that I don't want to make. Um, you know, five generation bakers can earn money several different ways um, by this relationship. And so what Swirly Snacks has done, Mark, you know, he, he expands my capacity personally as a, as an entrepreneur, because he's been that entrepreneur. He understands what I do. Um, he is a high level sales motivated individual. He understands, um, value in relationships and, uh, um, uh, in, in assuring that we partner with people that understand our expectations, our level of quality, our commitment to, um, consistency and producing a good product. And so, um, for example, we are um, we're selling Jenny Lee gobs. Mm. You're like, what's a gob? You probably know because you're from Pittsburgh. Is, yeah. Most people outside of Pittsburgh would know it as a hoopie pie, or, or no, a, I'm sorry, a, a whoopie pie, pie, a whoopie pie. Mark actually, one of his former products, he he's got um, uh, West Virginia history, so they like the hoopie pie. Yeah, um, but it's the same thing. It's right. a snack cake with cream in the middle. Um, Jenny Lee used to make a chocolate gob that was just out of this world, and so mm -hmm. we've partnered with a bakery. Um, we've toured their bakery. We've reviewed their food safety program. We've tested their products. They are now producing Jenny Lee gobs for us. And we earn five generations. First of all, Swirly Snacks then resells it um, and, and earns money and then pays five generation bakers a royalty, a licensing hey. royalty on it. Um, there's other ways. We have developed um, Jenny Lee's sandwiches. First of all, we started making sandwiches for the Pittsburgh Public Schools. Okay. And um, it's it's one of their hottest new products on their breakfast menu. The kids love it. Mm -hmm. It's made with a child nutrition um, friendly cinnamon swirl bread that has a serving of whole grain and reduced sodium. Um, and then um, uh, turkey sausage. Okay. And um, so... Um, what we started to do is, okay, this is good for, for school programs, mm -hmm. and we're expanding that. Um, we plan to be in more than just the Pittsburgh Public Schools next school year. Now, you um, don't make the sandwiches here, do you? So we make those for the Pittsburgh Public Schools. Yes, we do. Here. We okay. do. And, um, but we found a, a sandwich assembler, you know, somebody that's much more adept uh, at making sandwiches efficiently. I mean, some of these sandwich assemblers make a million sandwiches a day. Okay. Um, and we're also going to step it up a bit. Mm -hmm. um, the um, uh, Jenny Lee Swirl Bread partner with an egg company that will make French toast. Okay. We'll send that French toast to the sandwich assembler that puts um, bacon, egg, and cheese or sausage, egg, and cheese and have a uh, uh, package in mylar film that can be microwaved or heated in a conventional oven and have a grab and go sandwich for convenience stores. And we used to call those what? Monte Cristos? 
Uh, I think a Monte Crisco. Yeah, uh, it was it, a French toast bread. Okay. Yeah, and okay. then you put a sandwich, you know, the meat and yeah. cheese in, in I there. A, I call it a sandwich. A sandwich. <laughs> well, when I first heard you say it, I was like, Scott, I know you can talk better than this. You're right. And I said, you're not that Pittsburgh, are you? That you call it a sandwich? <laughs> what you talking about? You want to go downtown, see if we can get in a giant eagle? <laughs> yeah. Yins don't talk like that. Come no, on. No, 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 no. <laughs> And then so when I saw it written, I was like, oh, he's making fun. Right. You know, it's kind of how we coin, you know, you know, it's, it's a fun uh, name for, for a sandwich. I know. So good. um, But yeah, so the idea is now here, this is a different scenario. Five generation bakers will sell bread to the egg company. Mm -hmm. Then Swirly Snacks um, has the sandwich built and mm-hmm. sold and then Swirly Snacks pays a licensing royalty to five generation bakers. So we make money both on the beginning of the transaction and at the end of the transaction. Uh, and then the third way is Swirly Snacks is is also uh, able to go out and make a sale of products that we already sell. He's If he's got a pitch um, to a, a restaurant chain and he's mm-hmm. selling even whether maybe it's just just a component of French toast so that mm-hmm. they can make their own sandwich. Mm-hmm. Um, they may also be interested in buying Jenny Lee swirl bread to add to their menu. And so um, it's really become a wonderful uh, uh, um, opportunity to expand that brand name and grow. You know, look, I, I've, I've got X capacity that I can produce out of this facility as it's outfitted right now with equipment. I think we hit um, just below 50% of that capacity in 2023. I think by the end of 24, we're going to be approaching that capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, A small build out, a minor um, investment, um, and we can double that. We can take it then to maybe five times, 5x of what last year's revenue was. and all the while, if I'm only selling cinnamon swirl breads, Jenny Lee is missing the boat on what that brand can be and become mm-hmm. with consumers across the country. So we've got a whole host of products that we're developing. Um, talked about the Bundy family in USA Pan that's right here in our backyard, a division of the RT Bundy and Associates. Um, they're in Crescent Township. They, they they repair pans for us. We've got a relationship. I went to high school with some of the Bundy kids that are running a mm-hmm. company today. Uh, John Front, uh, Bundy is a friend of mine, and one day we're talking about an idea. Man, wouldn't it be neat if we could sell USA pans, and, uh, a cake pan, a USA cake pan with a box of Jenny Lee cake mix? Like John, that's brilliant. Yeah, so we started developing oh. these cake. We're actually not only just cake mixes. I'm calling it the whole line, Jenny Lee Bake Mixes. Okay. Um, we've partnered with Tasty Blend, a blending company out of Fraser's Bottom, West Virginia. Um, the Ellsworth family, just another family-owned business that, that is just phenomenal mm-hmm. at what they do. The passion that they uh, have for their employees, for their business, for the products that they make. It was love at first sight when I sat down with these people to talk about um, developing Jenny Lee bake mixes. And they took it in as if it was their project and their idea. I mean, we are months away from launching uh, a Jenny Lee yellow cake, Jenny Lee blueberry muffin, Jenny Lee chocolate chip cookies, All right. and Jenny Lee swirl bread. There you go. Oh, so, you love yeah, make their right? own. Oh, yeah. You know what? For sure. Home yeah. bakers, um, you know, they can make cinnamon buns with it or they can make a loaf of bread. There's yeah. different ways that you can prepare these products at it's, home. And a blueberry muffin, we're not going to provide blueberries with the mix. Okay. It'll be a muffin mix. We're going to show a blueberry muffin on the cover of the box. Right. But you can add chocolate chips if you want. You right. could add 
chunks of strawberries yeah. or whatever it can you be. You make a coffee cake. Yeah. But it's too bad you can't turn back the clock to the pandemic again because then everybody was baking at home. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, you no. If yeah. you still were having a birthday party, but you couldn't order a cake from somewhere. Right. You know, right. or, you know, you decided you bake the own and people were, oh, they were making disaster baking, but they were baking <laughs> and you could have just sold all that then with a the pan and the whole bit. Sure. But hopefully right. I right. think they all still have the bug to do it. And yeah, you continue know, the, it. the, the, uh, the home baker, uh, market grew, you know, fourfold over the pandemic and, and, and most of them stuck with it. So. You gonna bring out your frosting, your buttercream frosting? No, but I might give. I might give a. One of the ideas I had is to make a. Um, see, first of all, it's people ask me, "What's your formula for buttercream icing?" Well, I can give it to you, and you're gonna go home and make it with Crisco, and it's not gonna taste anything like what Jenny Lee buttercream was because the shortening that I have access to buy is is fresher for mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's different than what's packaged to go through a pipeline that it could end up sitting on a shelf for two months before it goes home. Crisco shortening can be great for many things, but not for making Jenny Lee buttercream icing. Yeah, and Crisco's <clears throat> changed because yeah. I used to successfully use it in baking pies. Sure, yeah. And about, I don't know, when they took the trans fats yeah, out. Yeah, eliminating the hydrogenation okay. process and to eliminate a couple the trans fats. Ye- yeah, a couple years ago, I failed every pie I yep. made and I couldn't figure out why. I thought there's something wrong with me. And so I started calling some of my food scientists and they said, you know, you got to up the fat because they've taken, they put more water into it. There's yeah. more, you know, it's less fat. So I was like, okay, fine. So I finally have come up with a mixture between a lard and okay. a Crisco. I still nostalgically like that taste of Crisco in yeah, the pie. Right. You know, and I tried a couple without it. And yes, they performed beautifully, but for some reason it didn't taste like my pie dough. Right. So right. I now do one that's like, sometimes it's two thirds Crisco, one third lard, depends mm-hmm. on what I have on hand. But I was really sad. So Crisco's changed. So even if you took a recipe out of grandma's cookbook and tried it with the Crisco we have today, it doesn't work. Right. So if your recipe doesn't work with Crisco, then they're not going to get exactly. it. But so. can you make it? You can't, uh, you can't make it ready to use? Oh, we could. We probably could do that. That might be an option for another product on the road. Yeah. Uh, particularly if, if, if the bake mixes do well, then that could be a, 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 you know, a linear uh, product that we could come out with. But yeah, I think on, on the box of Jenny Lee cake mix, I want to include a home recipe mm-hmm. that would be close yeah. So that people could. That might be where we debut the butter Jenny Lee buttercream yeah. home version yeah. of our icing. You gonna make a brownie? Yeah, that's that's probably gonna be one we'll develop uh, yeah. in the next round. You know, yeah. We wanna get these four off the ground and I genuinely had a wonderful brownie. Yeah. Yeah. Then you can go to pumpkin bread and you can just go on and on right. and on. That that is one thing they say that no matter how many fad diets come out, how many, you know, restrictive eating type of things come out. People just always are drawn back to their bakery, always sure. drawn back to their cookies and their cakes. Cause it's means family, yeah. you know, who yeah. has a birthday without a cake? Sure. You know, who has a, who has a graduation without a cake? And you know, what's the first thing you teach your kids how to make brownies? Yeah. Right. You know, my yeah. kids, that was the first thing I taught them. So are you a, um, a corner uh, the brownie, the crispy, or this middle of the brownie? I don't think there's a part of the brownie I would turn down. 
If I have my choice, I yeah. like the side. I like the I like both of them. It depends on what I'm in the mood for. Yeah. You know, and I, I remember we had people that are adamant they'd come into the retail store when we have it and I gotta have an edge piece. You know, uh, we're sold out of the edge yeah. piece. I don't want anything. Yeah. And you know what? I'll eat I'll eat a stale old hard as a rock brownie. Because I think the miracle of the microwave, I'll just microwave for a little oh, yeah, bit and it's right. all freshened up go. and, not, and I'll sure. eat it. I'll, if there's crumbs in the bottom of the pan, I'll stick it in a dish of ice cream. Right. I mean, right. I don't, I'm not, I am not picky about them. Yeah. Now, my, my children are a little more picky. My, my son, he can bake brownies okay. really, really well. We taught him, we started him as cracking eggs at like three. And so I haven't really had to bake brownies in years right. because he just bakes the brownies. Okay. But my sister would bake brownies. And we always had a joke in our family that we didn't think she actually put them in the oven. She just walked it past <laughs> right. because they were so gooey. Fudgy, yeah. And yes, they were like fudge. And we swore she didn't bake them. Yeah. She just right. like let them see the oven as she walked by. They were so good. But my my son bakes fantastic brownies, so we just let him do it. Okay, you know, so I don't have to. Well, sure. I mean, you know, why get in the way of an expert? Yeah, but I've seen those brownie pans where they're supposed to be like so you can have all edges. You know, oh, they're yeah. real thin. Yeah. yeah, and I'm thinking to myself, uh, why? Yeah, you know, like you've got four sides to it. You really don't want to eat the middle. And then other people are like, "That's terrible. I would never eat an edge." Yeah, they actually cut them off. Eight to each their own. Yeah. So, and I know some people that cut all the edges off and they put that in a trifle. Okay. And then they yep. eat the middle part. Yep. I don't know, but the uh, I'm anxious to see the bakery mixes. That would be wonderful. Yeah. All and right. they're going to be under Jenny Lee name. Oh, for sure. Yep, Jenny Lee bake mixes. Oh, they'd be They'll wonderful. Be branded. Um, Man, so you have a lot going on. So, think back. You've had some real ups and downs. You had the uh, thought we we're going to go out of business. Well, went out of yeah. business once, as far as well, your family. Sure, yeah. sure. And well, and multiple times. I mean, you know, yeah. a lot of people think um, the mis- there's a misconception that you know it's been continuous. There's been multiple installments of uh, of Baker family bakeries over mm-hmm. the years. Seven Baker brothers, mm-hmm. Jenny Lee Bakery, Carnes Bakery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, five generation bakers now at this point. Uh, interest, now, this started not related, but Mancini's, even um, the generation running the business now, Nick Hartner. Okay. His dad is my dad's cousin. All right. Um, and his mom is Mary Mancini. All right. Um, you know, I always go around Pittsburgh thinking I'm Pittsburgh baking royalty, five generation bakers. And then I look at my cousin, Nick Hartner, and I'm like, oh, you got the same five generations that I have, but you got four generations from your mom. So you, you, all hail Nick. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I mean, so while that's not a Baker family bakery, there's a baker running that baker bakery now. So yeah. And the, do your children have any interest in the bakery? He does not, no. No, no he, uh, he doesn't. Zach wants to be a zoologist um, with a specialty of designing animal habitats. All right. Yeah. Um, and how yeah. old is he? He's 20. He'll be 21 in a couple right. months. Well, right? I guess he should know what he wants he's, to do. He's known uh, that he's wanted to do this since he was five years old, and he's never wavered. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's so fun. And, you know, I, I wouldn't want him um, to do anything but what he's passionate mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Well, that's great. So the... Uh, I guess I really don't know what else we have left. We You have covered everything, and, and I appreciate... Your story, in the middle, I was actually thinking, I feel like this is a mystery. 
feel like I'm on one of those mystery shows because <laughs> I just can't wait till you tell me the next part. Gotcha. Because I know we're sitting here in this fully functioning bakery, but you're telling me that you're about to shut the doors. Oh, yeah. And I'm trying to figure out how are you getting yourself out of this? Right. And you got yourself out of it right. quite well. You know, it's if, there was a couple of times where I, I was ready to throw in a towel. I, I had a, a, um, a family meeting um, and was ready to give up. And my dad and son wouldn't let me. Yeah. And um, that was in, you know, in, in, in the heat of the pandemic. Um you know, and I've I've been blessed. First of all, I'm very passionate about what what I do. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. I've been blessed to find uh, just wonderful people to work with. Um, I, I'm, I, you know, here I'm about to celebrate my 14th anniversary. I can't believe it. I've kept the business going for 14 years. Yeah, that's first fantastic. and foremost. But um, I, I've got f- six employees that have been here for eight years or longer. Yeah. Um, we're still small. I mean, I don't have more than 40 employees. Right. And so to have a, you know, a big percentage like that, um, you know, and, and, and I can't do it without them. Right. You know, I, uh, I, I think a successful manager, um, uh, knows how to surround himself with people that can get things done. You know, well, we, I think the one thing you haven't mentioned, you should mention is your father works here. Yeah. Yeah. 78 years old. Uh-huh. Um, trying to get him to take a day off a week Mm -hmm. either he won't or we get so busy that he can't um but he's he's in wonderful health um Mm -hmm. runs circles around a 28 year old Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, he's brings such a wealth of knowledge of of baking but then also the history and Mm -hmm. so he's he's almost my clo Mm -hmm. uh, my chief legacy officer Mm -hmm. um what i'd love to do an ideal um transition over maybe the next 12 months is get him to the point where he's working, you know, maybe three or only four easy days a week, stops all the heavy lifting and is uh, just here to, to share his expertise. Um, He's a whiz at fixing things. He's really Mm -hmm. a a, a great um, maintenance engineer. Let him focus on those and preventative maintenance on the equipment and things like that. Hey, if, you know, production manager has some questions about how do you do this, how, how you do that, you're here as a resource. What, what does he want to do? do what does he want to do, though? Because I'm, I'm going to uh, tell you, know you this this will keep him young. Yeah. Well, no, for sure. Here's what he wants to do. He wants to make me happy and he wants to make my, my mom happy. Uh, he can't he can't make both of us happy at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> my mom wants him to retire entirely and I get it. You know, she's mm-hmm. home um, and she wants to spend that time with him. And then they've got their own plans and things that they want to do. Um, but he's having fun here you know and and we we, we still need them but you she know, needs to plan a few trips yeah exactly that he right, has to go right. on yeah they they cruise a couple times a year yeah he's gonna um, see he's gonna see that you can live without him sure sure and then he can come back for the yeah. but there's a happy medium i want him to continue to come yeah. in because like you say it keeps him young oh absolutely if he's got purpose and he's got you know uh something to keep him occupied and and sharp um then yeah that's gonna help make sure that uh um, we can continue to add those years. I mean, this is his exercise. That that that, that too, right? You know, yep, I, I I'm a big one about it. if you stop moving, uh, you're you're just gonna die. Yeah, I'm sure he's taking twelve to fifteen thousand steps a day. Oh, see, right? My my mother's ninety one years old, and she worked as a nurse in the hospital, but not a traditional nurse. She was their first home health nurse, right? And she had to go to every nurse's station in the hospital every day to look over all the charts because they didn't have computers yep. and look over all their charts 
and suggest who was supposed to have home health, which she had to do three floors and the hospital was the length of three football fields. Wow, yeah. So she did that every day for probably 30 years. And I think that's why she's 91. Yeah. Because she she didn't she didn't exercise. She didn't join a gym. She didn't right. do this. She walked. Yep. Every day. My all wife's day. A, my wife's a professional coach. Um you know, in the order we get, well, we, uh, I, I'm a weekend warrior. I like to, to work out on the weekends. I enjoy a good jog and, mm-hmm. and run. Um, but she, she has, uh, told me on many occasions, walking is just as powerful to the human body as running. Yeah. You know, and it's low impact. It's, it's, it's actually in some ways more beneficial because you're not doing all the pounding that you do when you run. Right. So yeah, walking is, it's, it's key to keep moving. Yeah, I keep, I, I, I'm really glad that that information has come out mm-hmm. in the last few years because I feel like it lets a lot of us off the hook because I can't run. Yeah. You know? Right. And so I figure if I can't run, I'm not going to walk either. Right. Well, we, when we find, I found out that you just walk, just walk. And they're telling people, all you have to do is walk. And the 10,000 steps, mm-hmm. you know? Okay, fine. Even if it's walk an hour. Right. Walk, walk, walk. And I'm thinking, you have just let us all go. You mean that's all I have to do? Yep. So now I can do that. You know, yeah. everyone says that to themselves. Well, I can walk. And if you do it outside, it's not just it's just not just the movement. It's the fresh air. Oh, yeah. It's a clearing your mind. It's oh, yeah. you know, there's 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 all those other benefits. I will tell you, I'm a big sissy. If it's below fifty degrees, you're yeah. not. I'm not walking. <laughs> if it's zero, am I still running? No, oh, I yeah. can't. I can't handle cold. But I will walk um, when it's warm out. I'm, I don't walk when it rains. I don't walk when it snows. I might go for a walk, but I'm not right. going to do an hour. Right. You know things like that. But I'm really happy we came to visit you today. I can see through the window some of the production. I'm going to go take a look at it before we leave. But thank you for sharing all this information with us. Thank you. Keep doing the good work. Everyone needs this bread. We need this bread. All right. You know, I mean, right. some of us said we wanted it, but now we get to the point where we need this <laughs> I bread. I agree with you. <laughs> the schools need those sandwiches. And I think this is just a great thing. And I wish you all the best in the future. And I hope that this company's here for many more 14 years. Well, I thank you, Maureen. Listen to you retire. That. Maybe you'll retire at 78 like there your dad. There you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Thanks again. Okay. You take care.